I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, Liberty Option Bionic. <laughs> well, it's great to be back again for another week with all of our Futurians at Future Quake. Indeed. And uh, we have a different kind of show this week. In some ways, a classic show mm-hmm. for Future Quake, but also a little different. Uh, we have our most prolific and probably unique guest coming back yeah, again. Yeah, I would say, I would say, especially for you and even to a lesser extent for me, a little bit of a mentor in sort of thought process. Yeah, everything? only for like the last 30 plus years or so for me. Yeah, well, only for the last year and a half for me. So. Okay. Uh, we have this week a um, uh, gentleman who was our first guest on the inaugural Future Quake show five years ago mm-hmm. and will be here for a momentous milestone later this week, which we'll announce. Uh, we have the one, the only, Robert Hyde, who's going to talk about the American Evangelical Christianity at a crossroads, considering the liberty option. And uh, I don't know how many of you all have listened to his shows in the in the past in our archives. If you have not, that's been a mistake. Mm-hmm. But I do believe, for as great as his shows have been, this may be the best. Well, I think it definitely is it, the best. It's it's very interesting. I think both you and I look at this stuff with a similar eye. I don't know if I'll be honest. I don't know if all of our all of our listenership appreciates just how profound some of the things that Robert says. Uh, uh, how just how profound they are, mm-hmm. and it's that's sort of a crime. It's kind of like mm-hmm. you know how they treated Bach and right. You know, well I can tell you just from my personal testimony, many of the things over the years that he has told me personally, um, uh, I immediately was taken aback by and would not buy into at all. Mm-hmm. And after time, I would find the wisdom in it. And, yeah. Um, I find that more so, and I'm easier able to do that in the future now. It's uh, adult thought. That's right. So, anyway, we'll let you get a taste of it. Here's our first installment with Robert Hyde, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Tom, Tom, Tom. Ready for some history? Bionic. Is that right? (laughs) Well, uh, today we have um, someone who's very, very influential in, in the history and progress of the Future Quake Show. We have returning one of our most prolific guests, Robert Hyde, who's going to be talking today about American evangelical Christianity at a crossroads and considering the liberty option. Robert, it is such a pleasure having you back on the Future Quake Show. It's good to be with you. Yeah. You know, you were here for our inaugural show almost five years ago, and you have dropped in periodically for some very important shows, but it's been a while since you've been with us. And I know you have some important thoughts to add today uh, to our evolving understanding within the radio community here. And I also want to mention it's very fortuitous that you're here for this particular show because our our midweek broadcast of this show will actually be the 500th original broadcast of the Future Quake Show. Wow. Wow. Oh, great. <laughs> Holy cow. So you were not only here for number one, you were here for the 500th original broadcast as well. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you're you're racking up these broadcasts now pretty fast, though five a week, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's in recent recent Future Quake history. We've been on a little over a year and a half on a daily schedule uh, now. All right. And I know our listeners feel like they've they've been through every 500 shows, 
just through the, yeah. the fatigue and rigor that they've gone through. <laughs> sort of uh, like the gauntlet or right. Know. Yeah. For our well, they should have they should have been with us when we were sitting in that little radio booth uh, running these things live. Uh, that was a real trip. Yeah, sitting on plywood with uh, oh, that's right. with those creaky microphones that yeah. went out most of the time yeah. uh, when we were there. And right. the, that we didn't know how to operate. Right. And, the, and yeah. the, the telephone calls in during the live show that were actually wrong numbers. Yeah. yeah was, I thought this was CeCe's Pizza. <laughs> no, no, you've reached Future yeah. Quake. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Well, you know, for our many more recent listeners, and we've we've really uh, had a huge increase in our listenership since you've been last with us, who are not familiar with you and your background, for brevity's sake, because we have a whole lot to cover here, I want to refer them to your earlier shows with us that are uh, stored at futurequake.com, uh, where they can go onto the past shows tab there and click uh, to these prior shows to hear more about yourself and your thinking. Uh, I will say uh, that you are a Christian minister in good standing within a very conservative denomination. And believe me, correct me if I'm wrong on any of my facts here when I conclude. You've pastored numerous congregations over the decades. Uh, You're a Christian educator, teaching subjects such as mathematics, science, history, and Bible at the secondary level, as well as uh, your separate entrepreneurial efforts in computer programming and the like along the way. Uh, well, you're you're almost right there. I have I have pastored a couple of congregations over the decades, not numerous. Okay, <laughs> so so you weren't on the run like one week at that, a time. That's correct. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I didn't want to give that impression. You weren't circuit riding, uh, evidently. Um, no. You are also the person, uh, and I'm I can confident in saying this, who has most fully influenced my thinking, uh, Doctor Future's thinking about Christianity, reality in general, and the subjects we cover here on Future Quake. Uh, in the 30-plus years of our relationship, and I don't say that to every guest. Uh, we will be talking today about a subject we've addressed in its various aspects in your prior visits here, and it touches almost every show we do to some degree, and this pertains to the ideological and worldview challenges now before the American evangelical Christian today, Christian community, and the rethinking that they should be doing, and which we try to facilitate here at Future Quake to enhance their service to Christ and our communities and nation uh, and try to get some of your latest thoughts regarding this ever-changing landscape we have. To kick off our discussion of these matters, can you briefly, since, again, we've discussed this before in prior shows, explain how, as a mainstream member of the evangelical community, you became introduced to and enamored with libertarian ideologies and why you think that for Christians it should be a worldview for realistic earthly social functioning that should be attractive to us? Uh, yeah, I can do that. Um, I became interested in libertarian thinking um, because of my role as a Christian school teacher. Uh, there, there has always been a sense in my mind that we want to tell the truth. If I'm teaching history, I want to teach it truly. And uh, in going back and studying uh, for example, the Christian roots of American history, and even more broadly, uh, the influence of uh, the church and uh, the spirit of the Lord in world history, uh, you, you can't walk away from some facts, and so you want to study them. And uh, so in the, study, in the study of American history, going back and studying out, for example, the basis of the Declaration of Independence, uh, famous for its passage on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and listening to Christians debate over 
the uh, the appropriateness of that and so forth. It got me studying uh, what did people really think back in the day, and because that's really how I stumbled across libertarian thinking. Um, one of the things that held me back, I believe, for quite a number of years, was um, maybe a little bit of an unconscious fear of what I'd find, um, a fear of um, maybe finding something that would contradict my thinking. Um, but when you study history, you have to be willing to study the details. You know the old statement, the devil's in the details? Uh, yes. yes. You've ever heard that one? Yeah. The devil's in the details in, in a lot of areas of our lives. And, and it's also true that there's a flip side of that statement, that is the Lord is in the details. And, and interestingly and paradoxically, both of those things are true. And uh, so what that tells me is, you know, you've got to study the details. Go back and dig and find out what's really going on uh, in history or any subject that you study. So, so that's what I did. I thought that's what uh, mainstream media does is do that for us. Dig through <laughs> and find the real details for us so we don't have yeah. to. Yeah, I know. Right. I'm sure that's what you think. Yeah. <laughs> in, in fact, that's why I've had a hard time justifying even doing Future Quake because mainstream media does such a complete Just, yeah, and exhaustive job. Of looking behind, you know, the obvious answers to the Just real turn on yeah, ABC. You're, you're about to know. lose your you're about to lose your niche there, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one fundamental aspect of libertarian thinking, which is mentioned by respected persons that we've had on our show, even like Pastor Chuck Baldwin and Judge Andrew Napolitano, is the principle of natural law. And I think many yeah. Christ, many Christians, I think, may erroneously view it. In ignorance as being in competition or rivalry with quote God's law as expressed in the Bible. Tell that to Samuel. <laughs> can can you better explain the desired role for for a Christian uh, thinking person the desired role and purpose in secular society for this thing called natural law? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, it was a study of natural law that really solidified my thinking. And I, and I have to make an apology that's not an apology to uh, your listeners here. You know, um, I have gained so much from reading the writings of others and paying attention to what other people think. I'm, I'm really indebted to them. And one of the, one of the things that really helped my thinking was, um, was a set of books by a, a fellow, some of your listeners may know named Richard Marbury, who, um, who wrote a, a bunch of books on uh, natural law. One of them is called Whatever Happened to Justice. And he goes back and he gives the natural law history uh, that undergirds our modern legal system, or at least the way it was a couple of hundred years ago. And, and he gets real clear on the subject of natural law. And he shows how natural law developed uh, in simple communities, uh, particularly in England, but not limited to England, where um, where you had people who were God-fearing people who were trying to live their lives, and they developed a a body of what they called natural law or common law uh, to to guide their thinking, and really it's based on on something as profound as the golden rule: do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and how far they could take that in actually developing a way of life. So yeah, hmm. natural law is at, at, is at the basis of of my libertarian thinking. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm glad to find that others like Chuck Baldwin and and Judge Napolitano recognize that this is fundamental, absolutely fundamental. Okay, and so it's not a substitute for quote God's law or trying oh, to usurp all. the role no, of no, God's. No, okay. no, no, no. It's it's the it's the actual trying to apply uh, the teachings of Christ in the New Testament in the real world. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Uh, it's based on basically two two tenets, and Marbury does a better job of this than I'm going to do. But uh, it's basically don't encroach on another person's rights, don't do to them what you don't want them to do to you, and uh, and also keep your word. That that's the basis of uh, of natural law and contract law. Okay. And, and both of those things are absolutely rooted in the Gospels. Now, from yeah, the, there's no conflict. From the description you just gave of that, I don't see any reason why someone who does not espouse a Judeo-Christian faith, or any faith for that matter, should be threatened by what you just said. And in fact, they would benefit, even if they didn't espouse all the, the spiritual teachings of a society based on that principle. Um, I, I, that's right. I don't think they do except Except I do see some 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 problems that people will have, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But let me let me give you a, a problem that I ran into when I was starting to study out libertarian thinking. Um, I ran early on. I ran into um, a lady writer named Ayn Rand, who is is uh, she's, she's well loved by by some libertarian thinking thinking and so forth. And I read some of her books and. Um, they're fascinating, and, and if anybody's read Ayn Rand, you, you know what I'm talking about. And she, she presents a strong case for something that she believes, and she is certainly a woman who um, it, b- believes in individual liberty, and she believes in individual potential. And so, you know, I, I give her credit for that. But uh, as, a, as a Christian reading her, her book, um, I was very, very concerned about... Um, what seemed to me to be a very dismissive attitude about uh, things that are dear to me as a Christian. Uh, she calls it pluralism. Uh, I call it human kindness. Um, and she's rather dismissive of it. And I'm bringing that up not as a red herring, but just to say, as you get into the writings of some people who are who are loved by libertarians, you run into some things that you do as a Christian have a real doubt about. And uh, so, um, yeah, now, I, I, I ran into a pitfall there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, as I understand it, her and, I, and I'm not an expert on Anne Rand. I've only peripherally understand. If you if you try to classify, and I know you're not a label maker, and I guess that's part of right. what the themes of this show is, is that we need to get rid of the labels if we're going to have any right. progress. But if I tried to classify her talking, it, it's almost like a social Darwinistic kind of view. In, in other words, that she would say it would be naturally realistic or something akin to that, that, that everybody looks out for each other's self-interest in a society that basically acknowledges that. Uh, and, and, they, and they look at a positive spin on it as, as it heralds the primacy of individual interest above all else, which individualism is a good thing when it gives a person the freedom of self-determination. But um, it, it, it also has the, the dark side, too, in that if you actually promote it as a virtue – uh, to use your individualistic rights to the detriment of others, um, it, you know, could be a dark side. Am I am I getting around the issue a little bit of where you have issue with her? I I think so. Um, 
and I don't want to dwell on that. I, I would say one of the problems that, that I had uh, in reading her work was simply that I had not given myself permission to think. Um, I I tended to either, you know, accept everything a person says or reject them and not allow myself to say, you know, there are some things that this is that this person says that I can agree with and there are other things that they say where I cannot go and give myself the freedom to disagree with them in my own mind, uh, recognizing that they have something worthwhile to say, but that does not obligate me to go where they go. It's a baby and in so, bath, baby in bath water kind of thing. That's right. That's gotta, right. Gotta, and I, yeah. I tend to, you know, I tend to be a follower. You, you might not think that, right. but um, I tend to be a follower in that um, I want to be pretty sure of my thinking, and uh, I, and I like to know that other people have thought similar things ahead of me, and uh, I tend sometimes to. Um, Hero worship authors, um, and and that that's unfair. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, we should not we should not place people on pedestals where we think that they have to be perfect or that we ought to believe absolutely everything they say. That's right. that's something we ought to reserve to God Himself. But but and, don't uh, don't it, don't evangelical and I'm speaking from my own observation. The evangelical Christian community. Those who are actively trying to understand what's going on in the world, be socially relevant, isn't that a major problem we have? I've observed that people will just really embrace with both arms certain characters that pop up in the community. And then if they see an oops, something they disagree with, they throw them out and then they pass the word on the Internet that they watch out for these guys. Uh, rather Sounds than like saying, some of the treatment we've gotten. Well, you know, that's a <laughs> challenge in our show because yeah. we have guests that have leading edge thoughts, being on the frontier – they're, they're treading on on uh, very careful ground, mm-hmm. and you and I have often said we have guests that have really ingenious things, but we can't swallow at this point everything they say. Yes, um, that's right. And we've tried to create a forum where people, but you know, we still get emails from people, newer listeners, and things that say, "How could you have this person on?" They said X, Y, Z at some time, uh, and I hate to if I dismiss everyone who had something I disagreed with, we'd have an empty airtime. Or we'd have a very dull show, you know, which is very or just mainstream. Me. Yeah. Or, or just me, right, that you absolutely agree with on all subjects. Uh-huh, yeah. Welcome right. to another yeah. another show of Hyde Quake. Well, would, <laughs> would, would, you, would you agree with me, though, that that is a, a bigger, even a bigger issue that we have in our community? I think it is a big issue. Um, let, me, let me tell you just a couple of my favorite writers. Um, I love C.S. Lewis. I, I will forever be indebted for uh, C.S. Lewis for opening my imagination uh, to holy things in a way that was that was stark for me. And another um, person that I really appreciated um, was Francis Schaeffer. I say in the past tense because both of these men are, are long dead. But um, they, had a, they had a very powerful impact on my thinking. Uh, but, but even there, these, these two wonderful men... Um, I would make a couple of comments about about them. That is, number one, they they will say occasionally some things where I wouldn't go. Um, there there are some logical implications of what they thought that uh, I could disagree with. Um, but I've also noticed that uh, amongst evangelicals who who love and revere both of these men. Uh, they um, 
they don't go where they go either. And uh, but sometimes they're they're really silent about it. Um, uh, hmm. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where where I right. want to go with this, but um, you know. Um, let, let, let me just make a I'm saying, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I just want to make a comment back to your reference on uh, on us following everything you do. Uh, people will be able to see how highly we regard you when they see us on the in the cinema burning you at the stake. Yeah, Here, <laughs> that's right. In the uh, and you play a critical role as William Tyndall in *A Lamp in the Dark* uh, in Adullam Films, uh, Chris Pinto, a new documentary that's just out that's just been released and announced. And so I want people to keep a lookout for you before I forget to mention it. Uh, you play a very riveting role, dramatic role, as William Tyndall in A Lamp in the Dark. And I'm sure you're going to star in many other uh, Chris Pintle Dullum productions in the future. <laughs> you die good on film, it's true. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I certainly enjoyed uh, uh, watching your demise and being present for it. Yep. <laughs> hey, yeah. I, as you proceeded from your uh, from your study of historic and current libertarian thought, um, you mentioned something about you, you were you were confessing to us about being a hero worshiper. What else did it expose about yourself and your worldview up to that time? Um, well, it, it did show me that I was a hero worshiper. Uh, I tend to to ex- excessively revere authors. I tend to, to excessively revere uh, presidents, for example. You know, hey, I'm an American history teacher. Uh, it, it's my job to to appreciate and love American history, and uh, but one of the problems is that you can become a hero worker. You can you can be reluctant to say anything about the failures of great men. Um, you could take people like Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, and so forth. People whom we all love, we all appreciate things that they contributed, uh, and but be willing to not deal with some problems that they had and some difficulties and mistakes maybe that they made that we have to live with. And uh, so it, it was a natural outgrowth of my my study of history. But I was a hero worshiper. I, I found that I was a label thinker. Uh, one of the one of the labeled problems that I had had to deal with was Republican versus Democrat. Uh, that's a big part of American history. It's part of American Christian history uh, where uh, People will associate their Christian beliefs with a certain political party, uh, and uh, they go with that. I also found out that I was a romantic. I like to believe the best of things. I like the happy endings. I like, you know, beautiful, beautiful scenes and, you know, wonderful things. And the thing is, you know, actually, I have to know, I still am. I still tend to think in labels. I still tend to, to be a hero worshiper. I'm still romantic. Um, Hopefully, uh, with a with a certain dose of realism, mm-hmm. but that's me. Uh, one of the things that really helped me a lot, and this is going to sound like a cliche, but it's really true, was the internet. Okay, uh, I have spent a good deal of time in the last few years just researching things on the internet and bringing myself into contact with uh, thinkers that, man, I I would have had to run into them by accident, one book at a time. Mm-hmm. And and I can find them on the internet, you know, moment by moment if I want to. And I have to say, I really have loved 
uh, studying things on the internet. You know, it's one thing that just the the keyword search feature. Yeah. But if you don't know what to yeah. look for, you can't do it. But the fact is, it's the chain. It's like you meet somebody of real interest, and you find somebody they connect to is of real right. interest, and then you go on and on. And I find that's the most valuable, you know. And that's how we lead to people like William Grigg. I don't know how, for example, you, yeah. you, you found out about his work, but then you tipped us off on it. Uh, and, 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 you know, these are the kind of things that before, if you didn't find it in your Christian bookstore or in your little local store in your church, if you have one in your church, you wouldn't be exposed to these kind of thoughts. Um, but it creates a new challenge for Christians because uh, I really believe this all or nothing kind of thing is something that's really a problem for the Christian church because we tend to look at everybody as a prophet. Either you're a prophet of God and you're all right or you're a prophet of Baal and you're all wrong. <laughs> right. Rather yeah. rather than people who are, and, you know, and, and, and the more you study scripture and are diligent in it, the more you can can sometimes distort things. Uh, from that point, when, when the rest of us, if you're not a prophet, you're a lot of people who are struggling to know God. Uh, if everybody looks honestly at their own life, it has been a migration of thought if they're trying to progress in their Christian thinking and studying the Bible and experiencing God. And so they've already migrated in a lot of their views since the time they first became a Christian, and we're all meeting each other somewhere along the path. So realistically, we should expect that we're going to have a mixture of uh, some real insights and stuff that's rubbish in every one of us along the way. And that's part of the the fascinating part about being a Christian is being able to discern that and to set over a cup of coffee at a table and working the stuff out. You know, that's very interesting you mentioned that because I just got in a discussion a couple of days ago with somebody about how the idea of the office of prophet and the office of pastor and the office, that's a very Old Testament sort of idea. These, mm-hmm. these days, uh, you know, post post Jesus, um, you know, after his death and resurrection, uh, we no longer have, you know, it's not necessarily an office so much as a gift. You know, God gives you the gift of prophecy or he gives you Very the gift good. of pastorship. And he doesn't really do uh, to to think about that in a different, in the term of like, well, that guy is a pastor uh, in the sense that God ordained him from death, you know, from birth to death, that that is his, uh, his office. Uh, free and above any any sort of thing that God may hand out is probably erroneous thinking. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. now we'll probably get a lot of emails about that. Yeah, <laughs> now they got something to not like about you. They didn't have it already. Oh, they had tons, don't worry. <laughs> We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, the Liberty Option Bionic. Yes, mm-hmm. you are definitely the freedom option. You're right. I'm very We're free, free to take you or leave you. It, please take me, especially if we're going to dinner. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this, these are the kind of shows with Robert Hyde that are the ones that make you stretch your cranium mm-hmm. and uh, stretch your understanding of separating Christian, the core of Christianity mm-hmm. and biblical Christianity versus the cultural stuff. Well, speaking of stretching your cranium, let's bring Merv in. Okay. The, the original stretched cranium himself, Merv will tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the shows, topics, or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. 
Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, thanks for keeping me on time there. All right, man. Well, we got to get out of here now. Come back for tomorrow, another stimulating section with Robert Hyde. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. We're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future. And Tom, not drinking the Kool-Aid, Bionic. I'm so glad to hear that. Yep. Very, very glad. Uh, hopefully you're going to get some... Uh, what does that look all about? Strong coffee. <laughs> Hopefully you're going to get some strong coffee, Futurians, yep. from our guest this week, Robert Hyde, talking about the American Evangelical Christianity at a Crossroads, Considering the Liberty Option. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a guest, as far as I know, that we only have here on Future Quake. I know. It's and an I would say he's as good and better than anybody I hear anywhere I was going to say, you know, the only person that can really top Alex Jones is Robert Hyde. Yep. Yeah. I would say so, particularly for a Christian audience. Although, although Alex Jones tends to return phone calls more. <laughs> oh, ouch. Sorry, Robert. Uh, just trying to trying to get after you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we uh, hope this gives you some thought-provoking discussion about where we are. And it's is a community, evangelical community, and it's part of why Future Quick exists, is to provide some challenging ideas for those of us in the evangelical community uh, to at least ponder, to think about, and to see other ways where we might be and mm-hmm. think about the world around us. Well, and he does that exceptionally well. Every every show that we do, I end up leaving, at the end of the show, I'm left pensive and deep in thought. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, stuff that I need to really mull around in my mind um, and just let it sit there and see what see what hatches, you know? You know, his my experience with him is indicative of, in the larger circle beyond him, uh, in my life, the most profound things I've ever learned Have started been out through him. Well, a lot of them through him, but a lot of them I was highly offended by them at first. Hmm. Not that I just disagreed with them, but I was highly offended by them. Wow! That I thought they were crazy. You know, I was like that with you know I was like that with uh, uh, music albums. When I listen to when I listen to an album that ends up being just a classic, mm-hmm. at first I listen to it and go, I don't think I like that. Right. But then I listen to it again, and after the fifth time, I'm like. That's the most amazing thing ever. Do you think the backward masking in there actually helped? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Big time. Yeah, we try not to do too much subliminal. Enjoy Future Quake <laughs> in our uh, show here. Yeah. But, um, uh, well, we'll just let the people decide. Yeah. So, with no further ado, let's go to our second segment with Robert Hyde talking about American Evangelical Christianity at the Crossroads, and then we'll be back to discuss it here at Future Quake. Here's a place where uh, good Christians could be really concerned about libertarian thinking. They, if they study it out and you say, well, it, it's, a, it's a form of free thinking. Uh, it's, a, it's a form of uh, live and let live. Uh, people are going to take that and they're going to say, well, this means that you just think anything goes or that you don't have strong convictions or beliefs or, or you don't know what you believe. And for me, at least, that's not the case at all. Uh, I, I know what I believe. I know what Jesus has done in my life. I, I have some pretty good anticipations of some things he's going to do in my life. Um, but uh, one of the things that he has done in my life, and he, and he said he did, was he set me free. Mm-hmm. And uh, and, I, and I'm free to interact with people um, without fear. Um, 
be, be free to talk to people, be free to listen to what they have to say, be interested in their lives. Uh, in fact, if, if I'm not interested in other people, if I'm not interested in their lives, what they think, um, I'm probably not going to be a really good evangelist, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe even listen a little bit. Maybe even, you know, and, and you find, uh, you find Christians in odd places, uh, with whom you have a lot in common, and you find, uh, people who have not yet come to faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but you can tell that, uh, their, their minds and hearts are working and they're, they, they're open and they're, they're moving towards the truth. Mm-hmm. And you can see it. Right. Uh, which is wonderful. I love it. And, and, and part of the, the, the listening part, uh, I think of people like Paul on Mars Hill. The references that he made to the scholars there, the Greek scholars, reflected that he had a knowledge, a general knowledge, probably through his classic training and upbringing, of what their prophets talked about, what their, what their great spiritual teachers talked about. And he was able to use that as a frame of reference of a Judeo-Christian worldview um, in a vernacular they could understand, correct? I mean, isn't yeah. that isn't that a value to be? And he, he, I mean, even he almost sort of made a a compliment to some of their speakers in the way that he that he said, you know, you know, as your as your writers have said, you know, you're gods and things like this. So, um, so 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 he he found a way to be able to to again tip his hat to the Greeks for a greater cause uh, by being honest, by coming across as honest. Uh, if he had been giving a, a um, condescending message or one that really wasn't intellectually honest, uh, he would have been thrown out, uh, you know, on his rear, basically, off Mars Hill, I think, rather than right. cause a legitimate debate as a byproduct. Uh, you, you know, one of the last points where I want to move on talking about where the church is is that, that I think, and it took a while for me to understand this, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, related to this whole thing about natural law and libertarianism, is that, there are two things in the world. There, are, there, there is the sacred and the profane, and they both have a place. We, we think a profane is something that should be immediately dismissed. Um, and uh, there's a very, you know, you could fall into a Gnostic view that uh, only spiritual things matter. It doesn't matter what you do in the other stuff. And I'm not talking about that. Mm-hmm. But there are affairs that God does within His kingdom. We know the kingdom is a is a heavenly kingdom. It is a kingdom that will one day come and dwell in fullness on earth over all men. Uh, it dwells in our hearts. We subject ourselves to its rule. We're we're ambassadors here in a foreign land. But but on the other hand, we live on an earth with people of all sorts of different backgrounds and and convictions and beliefs or non belief, and we have to try to live peaceably. We have to have an environment where people can be safe where their property can be protected, where they respect each other just for their own just for their own protection and their families, while at the same time they can have rigorous debate about meaning, about purpose, about the eternal consequences uh, of their thoughts and actions. But, you know, somebody's got to do the kind of stuff like pick up the garbage, uh, do, do the mundane things of society, uh, make sure people leave their mitts off other people's stuff, that kind of thing. And that's what I'm referring to as the profane. There was a... There is a role for libertarian thinking in just providing an orderly, peaceful society, is it not? In fact, I, I even read from a, a, uh, a non-religious writer the other day that, that was quoting an ancient about government. And it said that you know, the purpose of government is not to find meeting, but to support peace. And I thought there was a lot of wisdom in that. 
You know, we, we have means throughout the sacred and through the, the Christian kingdom we have to find meaning, to find what truth, reality. That's really not the affair of civil government. Civil government is to promote a peaceful society so we can pursue that, is it not? I think so. In fact, in fact, if the civil government tried to, to move into that area, it would actually be interfering with the work of Christ. And what I mean by that is, uh, it, truly, the, the purpose of our lives, is it not, is to find meaning, to find what is the meaning of our lives, what is the purpose of our lives, and, and to do whatever the purpose of our lives is and whatever the meaning of our lives is. And that's something that only God can reveal to the individual. And, and for the government to step in and try to supply meaning to life and so forth, uh, I think if we actually saw that happen, we'd say that was a, a usurping of, uh, mm-hmm. of Christ's authority in the individual. In, in fact, it can't even be a proxy on behalf of individuals in the pursuit of virtue, correct? I think that's right. It's one thing. Uh, it's, it's one thing for the government to be the sheriff in town to make sure people don't shoot each other in the head and, and run off in town, but it, it's it's not like it, the sheriff goes then and gets behind the pulpit in the church and says, "This is the kind of lifestyle and view and interaction with your neighbors and looking out for your neighbor and turning the other cheek." That that's really not the office of the purpose for that institution. That's right, and uh, and this gets into I think in some respects. We have put the sheriff in the pulpit uh, in this country, and we've asked the sheriff to do and be what he, he doesn't really want to be or, or shouldn't, mm-hmm. or should never, should never do. Uh, for example, um, you know, we we all love to see the movie High Noon and so forth, but but this isn't what this isn't what brings meaning to life, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some people think it is. Mm-hmm. But but this is not what brings meaning to life. It's the dirty business of life in a fallen world that has to be taken care of, like the taking out the garbage. You've got to keep evildoers at bay from terrorizing right. other people while, while hopefully individually and as communities we progress uh, in, in trying to be more uh, Christ-like in how we do things. But that's all done within each person's heart voluntarily uh, as much as they will allow Christ uh, to, to do a work in them. Uh, now, beyond yourself, I'm, I'm I'm tired of talking about you. I want to talk about <laughs> I want to talk Just about, about you. I, yeah, that's right. I want to talk about the Christian community as a whole. Um, what has your re-education in these matters also revealed to you about the American Christian community and their thinking today? Oh, uh, it's shown me some positives and negatives. Can I start with the negatives so I can end on the positives? Yeah, we like to focus sure. on the negatives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, That's our inspirational well, role in the Christian yeah. community. <laughs> uh, okay, with, with a view toward the positive in a few minutes, I'd just like to say I, I've seen some serious negatives in the in the Christian community. Um, I've I, I noticed that I'm not the only label thinker. I'm not the only hero worshiper. Uh, I'm not the only romantic uh, around here um, where, where we have people who, who do not want to study the details, who do not, I, I hate to say this, but I'm just going to say, we got a lot of Christians who do not think deeply. Um, they'll, they'll even take a, um, a favorite author, um, and, and they won't think through everything that they have to say. And, and furthermore, um, once they they found somebody good that that they they like to study, 
they they feel no no pressure to think more deeply. They 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 stop too quickly. Um, and and another thing that concerns me is we have Christians who are listening to each other too much, and um, I'm afraid what we're doing is is um, mixing a lot of Kool Aid, and we're handing out Kool Aid in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could be specific. You want me me to be specific? Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. Um, I think um, a, a lot of what we hear right now, uh, where we're told uh, we're in a culture war. Um, I think when I hear we're spreading liberty and democracy, I think where I, where I hear hear that we're defending our freedoms, I'm just going to be bold. I'm going to say that's Kool Aid. Uh, it's Kool Aid. Uh, and the, and the thing that that's that's wrong with Kool Aid <laughs> is uh, it, it's not that it's a bad thing as such, but uh, it lacks it lacks some important vitamins and minerals. Okay, and uh, you're not going to get healthy on Kool Aid alone. And uh, when we start handing out these cliche slogans. Uh, and we're satisfied with them, and we don't dig into the details. Okay, what does it mean if we're in a culture war? What does mm-hmm. it mean if we're spreading liberty and democracy? What does it mean if we're defending our freedoms? Let's go down to the, the next level of depth. Let's let's dig down and see what are the roots of our thinking, what are the roots of our behavior that, that would legitimize these statements. And I, mm-hmm. I see Christians not doing that. Right. Whether what you know, wars, our our relationship with other cultures and communities, very few Christians will stop and say why, why, right. why are we perceived this way? Is there anything on our behalf? Uh, <laughs> I, I I think it's labeled the hate America crowd. Is if you ask those kind of questions, mm-hmm. and I they used don't to, like us because they don't like our freedom. I used to <laughs> right. cheerlead. Yeah. I used to cheerlead that thinking. I used to be one saying, "Yep, that's all." They're always thinking something wrong with us. Until I started looking at some books and started reading some history that I didn't have in, you know, school. And look at this and realize, well, hmm, there's some historians that say some of this stuff's true. Um, maybe I ought to well, start. Let me, give, let, me give you, let me give you an example that, that goes back like one, one or two generations. Uh, uh, back in our day, um, we had a Cold War on. All right. Um, I, I was an anti-communist. Uh, you probably were, too. Okay, you know what? I still am an anti-communist. <laughs> there, there are still things about communism that deeply, deeply offend me, uh, and and I don't like it any better now than I did then. But one thing that has changed in my thinking is I now know from a study of history that there were other people who were also concerned about communism, and they were handling it in a certain way, very differently than I would. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 I would have said they weren't on my side. When right. the truth mm-hmm. is, they they knew something I didn't know, and and this didn't make them communists. It didn't make them fellow travelers. It was that they had a little wisdom I hadn't run across yet. Okay, mm-hmm. and they said, you know, there are certain things that we think are the issues that are not the issues, and um. And we need to learn. We need we need to be willing to take time to learn, and not assume that uh, that everybody that is not as fanatical as I am doesn't care. Um, 
think I see well, that going see, on. See, that's what happens yeah. when you take the Kool-Aid. It's very sugary, and you get on yeah. that sugar high of fanaticism. But it that's has right. a long-term sedative effect. So the time when you really need to be alert over the long haul, you have that sugar crash. And you go from this fury of fanaticism to suddenly you're sedated. Right. And what we need or, is a good, good, strong whiff of coffee. That's right. That's right. And uh, and we can become disil- really deeply disillusioned, you know, or get into denial about things. Right. Well, um, you know, one thing that you've mentioned to me that I thought the more I think about it, the more profound it is, is about the the American church, maybe beyond, tends to like social control. Uh, and that's yeah. something we don't, you know, that's sort of like a little dark subconscious history we don't like to talk about. Can you explain examples and evidence of that, of of how our history really shows that we've tended to favor more yeah. authoritative <laughs> social control? History does show that the church likes social control. Um, and, and this is not something that's really recent. It goes way back in church history. The church likes social control, and I think, you know, when we see that, we have to say, well, there was probably a good reason for it. And so here's what I'm going to say. I, I would say the church tended to like social control because for, for, for a lot of times in the church, they, they lacked social control. Uh, there were secular governments that were very antagonistic to, to the church and were killing Christians. Uh, and so Christians at that time had a, had a proper fear of secular government. And, uh, and so, so they were afraid of being controlled. <laughs> but the problem was they, they felt, um, like the way to do was seize the levers of power themselves. Okay. And, and institute social control. So what, what, we, what has happened, I think, is that, uh, perhaps with good intentions or not, uh, the church tended to ape the methods of the world, um, mm. Could I, could I almost say Satan, uh, and, and ate the methods of worldly control, uh, by trying to establish a worldly control of their own. And, uh, and I'll be specific. Uh, the things that characterize social control are a, a hierarchical approach. Uh, this is where you have thought control. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, where your kings and your popes, uh, make your decisions for you, tell you how it's going to be, and your job is to do what it is they tell you, which is a setup for slavery. Mm-hmm. And um, and as Christians, you know, deep in our hearts, we all know slavery is wrong, uh, and we don't want to be enslaved, and yet, oftentimes, we find ourselves practicing slavery uh, of one sort or another. Uh, you know, if, if I said, you know, the church practices slavery today, you know, people would rightly object to that. But but the truth is, um, the slavery, for example, that was abolished in America back in 1865 was agricultural chattel slavery of black people, okay? And thankfully, that is gone. But there are other forms of slavery that remain, and we're perfectly okay with that. Uh uh, industrial slavery, white slavery, uh, wage servitude, uh, 
disenfranchisement. Uh, these are all forms of slavery that are respectable, and they mm-hmm. continue through today. And uh, and the church is okay with a lot of that, to tell you the truth. What about like morality slavery? I think you've mentioned prohibition before. <laughs> Isn't that a type of slavery you're putting over one's moral choices? I I would say I would could, you could call it that, but I would at least call it social control. Yeah. You know, you're telling people uh, what they what they can't drink, what they can't smoke, what they what they can't do, uh, and and we're using a legislative approach. Uh, we, we make something, if we make it illegal, we solve the problem, you know? Mm-hmm. And, well, uh, we I, can make it, we can make it illegal, you know, for church membership, or we can make it illegal to be even a part of our society. Um, yeah. Well, and we like social control. I, I would even go a step further, being inspired by your, your point here, that, um, you alluded a little bit to it, but civil control, I, I know what you're saying, that, we, we, we overtly say we like freedom, at least American Christians. We like independence, self-determination, all this kind of thing. But there's something in the subconscious where Christians even can feel more comfortable with authoritarian control. And the reason why I wonder sometimes is that if Christian in, in a completely pluralistic society of self-determination, the Christian church has additional responsibilities to solve societal problems, to help deal with the maladies in society. And I, th- I don't know sometimes if the church always feels like they're up to it or that they want to be distracted by these difficult problems and they decided they'd rather have an authoritarian control like a government deal with those difficult issues rather than take it on themselves. Is there? Do you think there's any truth to that? In, in, in actual practice versus lip service? I think I think probably that's true. I, I'm a little hesitant to go there because I think sometimes that that places uh, too much of an onus of responsibility on people. Um, that that maybe a few of us should be willing to take on, but not require that of the whole body of Christ. This is that that's going to sound kind of strange, but um, I, I'm I'm at a point in my thinking where I, I really don't want to cast a lot of burdens on people. And I'm not going to say that they have to stand up and take responsibility for this, that, or the other thing. Uh, there are things that are beyond our control. There are, there are, there are limits to our ability. There are limits to our responsibility. So I, I'm not sure I want to push that too much. But, um, okay. Yeah. Well, I just find it's a lot easier to go yell at a government, for example, just one case about health care and about their tyrannical control over health care, whereas the church has not really taken any effort with all the vast resources they have to look at trying to solve community at a time, you know, via institutions like the church or other institutions to solve this problem ahead of time. It's much more comfortable just to be able to blame the government for getting involved. Do you think that has yeah. something to well, do with... On, on health care, let me say, um, we have a little historical amnesia here, actually. Uh, what, what I think happened in health care was, in, in truth, uh, for... 500 years, uh, maybe longer. Christians actually had a pretty good track record on health care. Yeah. Um, that is, there were there were religious orders that specialized in health care, 
uh, it was the Christians who came up with the idea of hospitals and, and, and nursing homes and, and, and places where the love of Christ could be shown for the sick, which is, which is entirely in line with the Gospels, and it, it was entirely in line with what, what some Christians at least were doing, and they did a pretty good job. And if you, if you ran the clock back in this country, right. uh, 60 years, you would find that most of the hospitals were endowed by uh, religious groups, not exclusively Christians. For example, mm-hmm. uh, Jewish hospitals, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, and other and other right. uh, faiths had had their hospitals. But Christians were were certainly in the vanguard of that. And uh, it was almost like every denomination, you know, wanted to have its its hospital right. and it wanted to have its outreach. And they were all open. They were absolutely ecumenical in the sense mm-hmm. that no, no, no hospital was going to turn away somebody because they didn't believe right or something right. like that. Mm-hmm. So in that, in, in defense of the church, uh, 60, 100, 200 years ago, I think in healthcare, the church actually was doing a good job and mm-hmm. the church could rightly say, uh, there was a government interference there, mm-hmm. uh, that, that stepped in and actually took away the right. Christian ministry from the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's maybe a little counterexample. Well, but, but what I'm saying is the generation today uh, is not, I don't hear them promoting going back to that scenario. No, uh, I it's don't It's like either. it's been decoupled, you know, that particular view. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Ramalama Tom Bionicana. Bionic. I have no idea where that came from. Uh, it started out as one thing and then morphed. You must be just thinking too deeply. My brain hurts. You know, one thing that really caught me amongst a lot of things that Robert said, because he really was getting more into the meat and potatoes of where he thinks the church in America is today. Mm-hmm. The idea of social control, right? The fact that yeah. church l- tends to like social control. Uh, very structured um, in that, you know, they had a history, at least a large part of it, even the, the background or you know, denomination where I came from, things like slavery, mm-hmm. uh, prohibition, controlling any mm-hmm. kind of vices and things like but authoritarian control through the government. So, oh, you know, they're I, huge in that. Yeah. You know, I tended to think that that's more something in a recent phenomena of getting involved with the war on terror and a well, Patriot I think Act. I think that's a cultural thing, thing it too. It must be. Go, go back a long way. Well, I think that's a cultural thing, too. I know a lot of people in my life uh, who are, you know, people I interact with who are not Future Quake listeners, uh, you ask them, like, who's more powerful according to the Constitution, the state or the federal government. And they're like, oh, totally, the federal government's in control. The state's just this mm-hmm. thing. Right. And that's completely backwards. It's ignorance. You know. And I think that, and I think, yeah, and I think that transfers uh, exactly to what, you know, what we see uh, people thinking, and they bring that mindset to church without even really realizing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, it's pretty scary when I thought about that, because that did explain so many things. And I think the kind of positions that evangelical leaders take in the church, and you look at the books on the bookstores, mm-hmm. mostly it's about reasserting some kind of control mm-hmm. over people's lives and what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying anything about like what's right or wrong or moral or immoral, what the Bible says. It's about somehow being able to enforce that well, there's on other this, people. There's this whole ancient idea of power. You know, you see it even in relational books. Uh, you see men... Uh, having power by, uh, you know, controlling the finances and being mm-hmm. the breadwinner. And you see uh, uh, women having power by having, you know, power in a vacuum, negative power, you know. So mm-hmm. that's all I have to say. Well, you know, some of this power over us is Murph. 
who can they'll come in. Talk about t- controlling things from a vacuum. That's right. <laughs> and tell you how to contact us here at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. Okay, let's get out of here. Come back tomorrow for installment three. It gets more interesting as we go. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Giddy as a schoolgirl for the little announcement that you're going to make, Bionic. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, uh, we have Robert Hyde on this week, which was the first guest we ever had on Future Quake, mm-hmm. April 5th, 2005. And now today was the 500th time that we said, Welcome to the Future Quake Show. This is the 500th original broadcast of Future Quake. What's going on? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> wow. I'd like to know what's going on at our radio station. Yeah. Or even our predecessor. Yeah, I don't know. That somehow we're, we're like athlete's foot. We're just hard to get rid of. <laughs> They've tried to spray us, but we keep I coming know. back. I know. It's amazing. And I want to thank all you Futurians. I know you feel the same way. Oh, uh, yes. Very much Let's so. Let's get an audible high five. Woohoo! Thank all you all. Right. Hope you heard that. Uh, we got to go quick. So here's Robert Hyde. We'll be back for a quick wrap-up here at Future Quake. It seems like so much of the stuff that we uh, reviewed today and, and, you know, in other places on FutureQuake, especially when you're on, Robert, is that a lot of this stuff tends to uh, stem from uh, us Christians having or maybe even not realizing that uh, a lot of this stuff comes from sort of a shortcoming of being able to love other human beings as we ought to love them in Christ. Um, and in so much as that uh, it's really easy it's really hard when somebody has a life-threatening illness or a problem or something else to, to love that person, you know, the way that Christ would. And it's much easier to sort of make a label and just say, well, let's just, you know, roll tanks and kill them or something. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, that brings up a, a real concern of mine. You know, um, you only have so much love. <laughs> I'll say it that way. Mm-hmm. You, you've got you've got so much love in your heart, and if you misplace that love, um, other other things that need to be loved are going to be neglected. So uh, let me let me be a little hard, the evangelical church here for a few minutes. I'm going to say I've got a couple of places where I think mm-hmm. the evangelical church is, has really got a problem of misplaced love, mm-hmm. and one of the things is uh, the evangelical church loves war. Let's just let's just get right to the bottom of it. Uh, it's a particularly American malady. Uh, it's probably in other countries as well, but in America, we have a predisposition as Christians to love war, and the reason is because war has been very good to us. 
<laughs> we've we've gotten a lot of things by war that we don't want to we don't want to say too much about. Um, Caesar Caesar can pay well, and uh, <laughs> and and we look and we look wow, at the yeah. war and we say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, philosophically, I'm opposed to war, but in all practical terms, you know. I'm okay. I had a Christian brother say to me, you know, when we were talking about the war in Iraq, you know, he just comes honestly says to me, you know, we need the oil. And wow. I'm, I'm shocked. Yeah, you know, me I'm, too. I, but yeah, okay. So yeah, so if we need it, let's go take it. Uh, well, isn't that what war usually does? Um, well, at least it's yeah. a Christian nation taking it, at least. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, don't so, worry, uh, God is with us, because we're, we're Christian. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So so not only can we look bad, we can bring shame on the name of Christ. We can we can let people think that uh, this is what Jesus is all about. That is the uh, risk. When, that's the risk when we call ourselves a, quote, Christian nation. Is it, that it is. We add opportunities for more mischief we can do to the name of Christ by doing that. Yeah. Right. Uh, another another area where I think we have a problem uh, is love of the police state. Um, <clears throat> Boy, we no have uh, we have grown up uh, with a good version of where we live, and we we tend to glorify the police state. Uh, the the whole world is uh, you know Elliot Ness fighting the uh, fighting the bootleggers, and um, and we like to see. People getting their heads bashed in, and um, I'm old enough to remember the the uh, big push for law and order that uh, everybody was getting behind back in the 1960s. Uh, you know, if we just had a little more law and order, and uh, we we cleared the streets of all these uh, unwashed people, uh, things are going to be a whole lot better. Uh, and uh, Mm-hmm. I, I think it's I think it's misplaced. You know, of course we want to live in a, in an orderly society, uh, but uh, an orderly society is not uh, improved in its likelihood by uh, excessive force. Well, you can hear uh, this it, in Christian media, particularly oh, ones that's newsworthy, where they glorify. Well, basically, it's warrior glorification. The majority, and I'm not saying that these these young men who face death. In the face of, they don't have heroic attributes, but it is a non-stop glorification of the warrior, per se, versus those who are working in maybe deadly circumstances in inner cities, uh, where they're at risk of death trying to bring healing and hope to people. You don't mm-hmm. see that kind of emphasis, but, but the police state as well too, uh, the whole authoritarian role of coercive government is something that the, the Christian, conservative Christian church has strongly reinforced uh, even just in, in uh, ideologically, almost in the, the propaganda of how to spin and see what's going on. You know, we yeah. had a show with uh, with uh, William Grigg talking about when you see a man in a uniform beating another man on the side of the road, what is your first response? Is it, boy, I'm glad he's got that guy and putting him in his place? Or is it, hey, what authority do you have to be doing that to that man? And that tells right. a lot on what what the programming has done to us, whether it's Christian media or other, to to put us in a frame of mind to have a worldview. Yeah, well, let me let me get real personal here. I'm a I've been a Christian school teacher for a number of years. Um, I, I have had students uh, who have graduated and they have gone off and they have joined the army and they have fought wherever uh, the army has sent them and so forth. 
Um, I, I personally don't think that what they are doing, uh, supposedly fighting for our freedoms, you know, halfway around the world, uh, is any more valuable. In fact, I consider considerably less valuable than what I am doing as a Christian school teacher. Um, why, why am I always uh, being asked to uh, support our troops and make sure that they get larger and larger reenlistment bonuses uh, so that they can go out and do the dirty work of the government? Um, and, and the church is uh, <clears throat> always um, beating the drums for these dear kiddos. Okay, well, um, there are some other much milder, less heroic things that are being done that are that are doing a great deal more for spreading the love of Christ than uh, making sure that our troops have plenty of ammunition. Uh, I'm just going to be plain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could say I'm offended. I'm not really, because I understand it, but I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a, a total it's a total misunderstanding, you know. And like I say, you have only so much love. Where where are you placing it? What are you encur- what kind of behavior are you encouraging? What kind of behavior are you enabling with your love? Mm-hmm. And uh, I have serious concerns. And what kind of virtues as institutions do you glorify uh, as ideals and want to promote? Uh what about uh the the evangelical communities here view about America itself and its clear vision and perception of America? Um I think um, I think the the evangelical church uh, in America has has a distorted view of America. I think it's very understandable. I think uh, it's based on a a civic myth that we have taught ourselves, um, and and it's something we want to believe. And 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 we want. Let's be honest. All, all Christians want life to be good. Um, uh, even even the most misguided, in my view, they, they want life to be good, uh, and and they believe, in, in all honesty, that America is um, the best hope of mankind, and so forth and so on, uh, and so they they want to believe the best, and I, I kind of do too, but uh, but in the process of believing the best, we have to deal with the fact that things aren't always the best, and things aren't always the way they seem. Mm-hmm. Um, now, haven't, haven't you used the term before, the Disneyfication of U.S. history? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would even start with maybe the Austinization uh, of uh, of history. Uh, you know, uh, we all love Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice. It's a, it's a great story. It's a lot of fun. Speak for uh, yourself. It, it, <laughs> it, it's, oh, listen, it's great. It's beautiful art, uh, and, and it's come to the screen in great ways. It's fun. Uh, however. If you were to take uh, British life and look at look at it through the eyes of Jane Austen, you would be missing something, and you would need a Charles Dickens right. to to come along and say, you know, it, it, the part of it that's nice and pretty and so forth, we all like, but at the expense of whom? And um, and the and the answer is at the expense of a lot. Uh, so when I say you know use the expression Disneyfication, uh, I'm not really trying to put down you know, the Disney people for trying to put a good spin on the way life is. Uh, sure, it's the way we'd like for it to be. Uh, but let's don't kid ourselves that that's the way it really is. Yeah, they uh, they haven't done many cartoons about, like, the uh, experiments on the Tuskegee Airmen. 
You know, where they can syphilis. <laughs> Mickey Mouse gets syphilis. Or, or yeah. you know, taking children and Donald putting a medi- mind control. Yeah. medical experiments yeah. or those kind of things. They, you, you don't hear near as much of that. In our, in <laughs> no, our, you don't. And, in fact, if you do, you're, you're called hate America crowd. But for the <laughs> Christian audience, the challenge I see is that when we do that, we are actually, to me, going counter to the revelation in God's word when it talks about all men being fallen and depraved, and there's none righteous, no, not one. Well, it's a very subtle form of idolatry. Well, it's, yeah, it is a type yeah. of idolatry I, of the American dream. I don't like to think about it like that, but every once in a while I'll be driving around and I'll think, you know, uh, especially there's a, there's a talk show host that uh, I listen to, and I'll go, you know, this is nothing but idolatry, listening to all of this stuff about... How just how pro-war and how well, pro America and God is saying that, that absolutely Amer- with America doesn't matter what's going on. You know, we were gifted with wonderful founding fathers and a wonderful governing document, the Constitution. Sure. But beyond that, assuming that Americans are innately more virtuous than others, mm-hmm. isn't that a form of idolatry you're talking about? Yes. And counter to the revelation of God's word about the natural fallen state of people. And that whether you're Americans or communists or wherever you are, man's natural state, when you give him more power and influence, is to do more wicked things, regardless of the system where he comes from. And that when we glorify Americanism per se, it's counter to the reality of what God's Word shows. Robert, do you have a comment on that? Yeah, I've got a a hot comment on that. The answer to that, of course, is yes. Uh, Where this stops being philosophical and starts becoming eminently practical. Is when you um, when you talk to uh, Christian brothers and sisters who have put their lives on the line to minister in, say, Muslim nations, uh, and they are trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you ask them, uh, "Well, how how is our uh, defend their, our freedoms strategy working in Muslim countries? Uh, is this making your job as a Christian evangelist easier?" And you know what the answer is going to be. Right. The answer is going to be absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, you have you have Christians on the ground in these Muslim countries, you know, dodging dodging American bombs and trying to explain to uh, to these Muslim people that uh, that this is this is Jesus. Come on. Now, now there's know? there's going to be people who are listening and say, "Now wait a minute. There was somebody who came and actually." Uh, attacked our country, killed a bunch of people, people from that part of the world, we've got to do something. We can't stand by. Is this a cheap shot that you're saying that, you know, we're responding to some event that happened? Uh, are, are you not regarding the fact that we can be threatened and have to respond? What would be your response to that? Well, my response to that is, uh, yes, we can be threatened, uh, but we don't need to be quick as to how we respond. Um, for example... Uh, if if our country were attacked again, is suppose we had another 9/11 situation, uh, and our country were attacked again, would I advocate attacking wherever it came from? The answer is no, absolutely not. And I'm on very strong grounds. Okay, we were real quick to counterattack. We were real quick to say we knew what the problem was. Right? We knew it was all in a cave in Afghanistan. Right? Remember, mm-hmm. and uh, and we've had eight years. Have we solved the problem? Did our counterattack really? Did our counterattack really solve the issue? I say no. 
So uh, the next time somebody says, well, you know, we have to respond, we have to respond. Well, we responded quickly eight years ago, and uh, we have nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. You know, in I don't... fact, we have we have less than nothing to right. show for it. I, I I don't know if our response reveals the gullibility of the Christian community of which I'm a part of, or that it that it actually fosters some dark, uh, you know, latent uh, authoritarian you know, desires that are there that we, we keep suppressed. Now, the case in point is immediately after 911 or the day of it, there was video footage of of people dancing in the streets in Palestine and elsewhere, celebrating when they're making the funny sounds of their voices. They're running stuff that looks foreign to us yeah. uh, and showing that they're celebrating. And if the resources I read is correct, that was file footage from at least a year prior to that event. And they ran it as if it was real footage, okay? Really? And the Christians yes. that saw that immediately said, see those foreign different people than us, look at them celebrating, fire up the airplanes, let's head over. And I can tell you, very wonderful Christian people were saying, let's just carpet bomb that place. Now, was it gullibility because they were exploited by people in our government that had an agenda, knew that they would fall for this? Or is it the fact that they were just looking for a scrap and it gave an opportunity? Both answers disturb me. Am I, am I on the wrong track? Is, is having events like this reveal something that's a problem? Well, what, what comes to my mind is, um, do we love appearances or do we love the truth? <laughs> okay. Now, as a romantic, I love appearances. I want things to look good. I want I, I want I want things to strike me as good. Uh, that that's part of a, a romantic desire for things. Uh, but behind all that is, what about the truth? What if the truth is contrary to my romantic notions? What if the truth is contrary to appearances? And and we have the words of Christ that often. The truth is contrary to appearances. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And, and I say the love of appearances uh, is is a is a misuse of love. Um, how many churches? I, I'm not trying to cast aspersions, but you know how many churches do the people attend on any Sunday? And as long as the church worship. Uh, appears to be good, and uh, the singing is in order, and the preaching sounds good, and so forth and so on, we say, this was good. It appears good, and therefore it is good. Whereas, um, our, our real spiritual needs being met, our real problems being solved, our real victories being won, uh, much harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Christians love appearances. Um, another thing is Christians don't even know what their heroes believe. Um, I could I could tell you things that that Truman believed that would shock Christians, and I mean good things, good things that Truman believed. Uh, I could tell you good things that Eisenhower believed. I could tell you good things that Ronald Reagan believed, and most Christians would be shocked, uh, you know, about about what they thought. Um, for instance, Eisenhower's repugnance to war, uh, Ronald Reagan's repugnance to nuclear weapons, okay? Uh, and these things, these things don't show up on the uh, evangelical radar screen, uh, but they're there. Um, anyway, 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know I what? Think, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say one point. I don't mean to go distract ahead. you before your point, but you know, you, you've mentioned before about sometimes the Christian community in America sets up boogeymen and spends their energy chasing them. What are some examples of some of those boogeymen that we spend our energies <laughs> as our well, pseudo enemies? You know, in times past, every generation has its boogeyman. Uh, back around 1900, the, the big boogeyman was booze. Okay? Uh, by the time you get to the 1930s, uh, the big boogeyman is drugs. Now, wait okay? a minute. The, the, the boogeyman, I, I would say the implication is, is that if we can finally kill off this dragon, whatever the boogeyman of the du jour is, yeah. if we can do that, society is going to be, if not perfect, at least so far improved and better in solving our problems that it will be near nirvana state or something akin to it <laughs> if we could yeah. just get over this one boogeyman. That's right. Well, yes. And uh, they probably, you know, they were wise enough to know it wasn't going to solve all the problems, but they thought they were going to really improve society if they got rid of booze. They're going to really improve society if they got rid of drugs. They're going to really improve society if they got rid of secular humanism. Okay? Well, here's the question. How do you do that? Do you lock all the people up who drink booze? Do you lock up all the people who do drugs? Do you imprison all those terrible secular humanists? What do you do? Uh, and and the answer is, if you don't know what you're going to do after you've won the battle and you've taken your prisoners, so to speak, okay, what are you going to mm-hmm. do? Lock them up? You're going to imprison them? And this is this is a great society? And this is what the church has gotten into. But that's uh, that's a previous generation. Now, what are we dealing with? Islamofascism, right? Terrorists, right? The Chinese threat. Okay, what are we going to do? Well, let's imprison who we can and nuke the rest. How about it? You know, and that <laughs> that's about what I hear. How about if we imprison them in places that we don't have to look at what's done, and they can have things done to them that we don't see, and so right. we won't feel bad about it, and hopefully never bring them to trial, where they would actually have a case to make their case and about what we've done. Uh, we could just keep it very quiet. That seems like that would be very appealing. Well, this is this gets into the whole thing in American love of war. You know, we're deeply conflicted in this country because there are a lot of Christians here. We've had a lot of war, and we've had a lot of Christians, and Christians don't like to see the results of war. This is why we like artillery. This is why we like air power. Mm-hmm. This is why we like missiles, because we don't have to look at what we do. Right. Okay? And so wow. we can keep up the appearances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that applies to the Christian community, too. Yeah. And a lot of activities absolutely. that we do, we like to have an arm's reach uh, impact on people. We don't have to look somebody square in the eye based on the byproduct of, of what we've done. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very, very interesting. Um, well, I've, uh, I've, I've focused on the negative. I, I want to say there are some good things about where the church is. Uh, one of the things I would say is the pro-life movement. Um. The pro-life movement has been good, and it's been good in a couple of ways. One is it has brought, it has reached across denominational barriers, and Christians have found that there are other great Christians outside their denomination. And that has been great. It's wonderful. It's brought together people who haven't been talking to each other. And there are some parachurch ministries, uh, besides the pro-life movement, that have done some, some good things, some good, like, like-minded things. However, I'm going to say there is a downside. Um, in the in the life movement, uh, once you get rolling on something like that, 
there comes kind of crossroads events. Um, for instance, you know, there have, there have been Christians who honestly thought that, uh, because they were really pro-life that, uh, that, that this meant that what they needed to do was to blow up abortion clinics. And you're going, uh, whoa, whoa. Um, well, hopefully it, those are very few and far between, right? Hopefully they are. Hopefully they are. And, because, and, because people on the and, other and side. And they may be fewer. Yeah, <laughs> and because people on the other side have made this case that everyone who's pro-life like the Mayak reports and other things, really harbored these violent tendencies. Right, and which, I know, which of course isn't true. But but the but the Christian Church uh, needs to be pretty clear about this. That no, we don't condone this. This is not what we're all about. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now, now thing, having said that, having said that, mm-hmm. just to while we're thinking about the mindset of a pro-life activist and their mm-hmm. mischaracterization with violence. It's very interesting to think about Muslim people who believe in their religious thought of jihad in terms of actually doing things that are moral and right and how we mischaracterize them as all being violent people who want to blow up people. We don't like it when we're a pro-life activist and we get characterized with all the people who want to go blow up an abortion clinic, but we turn around and do the same thing to Muslim people uh, and characterize them all as people with bomb vests strapped on, do, do we not? Yeah, I think uh, too much of that is going on, yes. Okay, I'm sorry to distract you there. Yeah. I'd like to, you know, we don't have a lot of time left, I guess, uh, but I'd like to talk a little bit about where I think we're going okay. with all this, where we're going in the church. And um, and, and I'll say it this way, there, there's there's a couple of possibilities, and, and one is if things in the same, and the other is the possibility if things change radically for the better. So I'm going to start on if things remain the same, which I see happening. Uh, you know, if things remain the same in the evangelical community, we're going to keep on having and we're going to keep on getting what we already have, only more so. And we're just going to have to take a look at it and say, is this what we really want more of? Because we're going to continue to get what we love and believe. Okay? My concern is that uh, that what we have too much of is what I'm going to call fantasy Christianity. I called it Disneyfication. Uh, we have a fantasy Christianity, and we we think uh, that you're going to get a happy ending in two hours, just like on the movies. Uh, we we think that um, you know Jack Bauer has the end. Uh, we we think um, uh, the West the West is like John Wayne. Um, good triumphs over evil, you know, by having a really good bar fight and a showdown. Um, and what happens then is we're going to have continual frustration when things don't turn out the way we think they should because the fantasy breaks down in the real world. And what's going to happen if things remain the same, I see in the evangelical church, is progressive disillusionment, uh, partly because we're going to see Christian leaders fail. Uh, we're going to see some moral failures. We've seen it in the past. We will continue to see it. Uh, but perhaps even more serious in my thinking than the moral failure is we're going to have Christian leaders who continue to fail to see what is really going on and what's important. Uh, and because of that, they're going to, they're going to be not only irrelevant, but they're actually going to be blocking what, what needs to happen, what needs to be done because they're putting their fantasies blocking reality. Mm-hmm. I'm very, I'm very concerned about that. We're back at Future Quake with Doc Future and... And T. Bionicus. 
and we have to go. We didn't leave ourselves much time. No. We'll talk about this segment uh, at the beginning of the next show for our last segment, but uh, I just want to thank you all again. I know you feel the same way. Yeah, thanks, guys. For 500 original episodes of Future Quake, and mm-hmm. uh, hopefully the Lord won't tarry and will interrupt before the next 500, but if yeah, not, there you go. we'll try to be here. All right. God bless you all. See you tomorrow. Until then, hope your future. Oh, wait. Merv. We forgot Merv. Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Now Sorry about the ball. Gotta get out of here. Gotta right go. Now. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, not Axel Rose, Bionic. I understand that. Yeah. That is something we talked about off air. Indeed. <laughs> and this, our 501st original broadcast Gosh. show of Future Quake. I'm still, we got to go get a cake or something. And we need to do something about that. Yeah. Uh, let me just comment real quick on some things that Robert mentioned yesterday in All our right. short time. Land on. He, he talked about some things that American Christians love. And, you know, he, these were like just... Shots, you know, across yeah. about love of war, love of police state. And then he mentioned these terms, Disneyfication of U.S. history. That was classic. And Austinization of British history. And that we, we end up fighting boogeymen, mm-hmm. you know, that we can sort of identify and put a mask yeah. on as a villain. We're good, the they're real, bad, let's kill them. Rather than the real problems. And I thought, you know, if you try to wrap it up succinctly, that's a pretty good job. Yeah. And that's that's real lasting kind of stuff. So I hope you all get to chew on that, Futurians. Uh, but we got one more segment to go. So here's Robert Hyde for the last segment of our interview with him on Future Quake, and we'll be back here to wrap it up. But have, haven't these this leadership uh, institutionalized themselves so much that they have assets and other things that they have a stake in that there there are financial and other power, other reasons why they have to defend the status quo? If you have you a bunch it, of ad hoc people. The words. You're taking the words right out of my mouth. Uh, I was going to say my next thing is if things change radically for the better. If things change radically for the better, they will have to change deeply because we cannot afford another superficial change. The, the last thing we need is another Christian fad, and we don't even need a Christian libertarian fad. Okay? If, this, if something doesn't happen really deeply in people's hearts and minds, uh, it's no real change. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, I don't think they will change radically for the better, and it's for the reason you just alluded to. Uh, we have too many uh, institutional commitments to a point of view. Uh, we're in pretty deep in promoting fantasy Christianity. We're pretty deeply involved in label thinking. We've got a lot of investment in the war. We've got a lot of investment in left-right paradigm. We've got a lot of investment in culture wars. We've got a lot of investment in fighting boogeymen. Okay? And uh, 
I, I don't see a, you know, a, a magic wand uh, wafting over the evangelical church and changing that. I, I don't see it happening. I think, um, you know, I don't want to be too hard on Christian publishing and Christian media because there are some good things that have happened in Christian publishing and media. But I would say Christian publishers and, and Christian media people need to reexamine the, the message that they're putting out uh, and see if something doesn't need to be added to it. So, uh, to, to make my final case... But now that's, uh, that's big well, money. You're talking about big money there. Oh. You know, I, oh, yeah. I, I've been at the National Religious Broadcasters Conference, and the and I'll, I'll just say it as it is, okay? My observation, the, the the meetings that they have there. I mean, it was just tons and tons of topical meetings for professionals. There was nothing there about what is the Lord's will, seeking seeking God's will for our community, and through the ministry of communications by which to accomplish the Lord's. It was. How to wring more money out of your ministry? How to raise more money? Fundraising techniques? Uh, how to basically help the bottom line and what's going on? Okay. Uh, and if they start having unpopular messages or ones that that make the stomachs upset of Christian listeners, that's mm-hmm. going to go counter to their vested interest of the institutions that they operate. You know, many of these are for profit. Right. Uh, and they they have expenses. When you're over the real airways, you got to pay your expenses, and you know you give thought. It, are there opportunities in, uh, for example, the internet, other means we have that do not have that kind of overhead? Is a means for unpopular thoughts to actually find a home and germinate from there? Well, before I before I address that, you know, I don't want to broadside uh, Christian publishing or Christian media because. Behind it all, you have real beings, you know, many of them really love the Lord, and they're conflicted, and they're trying to find God's will, uh, really. They really are, even though at this point in time they can't get past looking at the bottom line and strategic thinking and so forth. Uh, but there, there are people in there who really do care and, uh, and who really are concerned. So, you know, maybe some good thing will happen there. But uh, my, my own personal belief is that things have to change individually, and things only will change individually. And this is where I'm going to say something again about Christian libertarian thinking. Essence is the focus is on the individual, you. What is God? You matter. Your thinking matters. Uh, Your good attitudes, your good deeds, your spiritual life matters uh, more than the collective. Um, heaven is going to be filled with redeemed individuals. Uh, yes, we are going to be in relationship. Yes, it is the body of Christ. Uh, but you as an individual person matter supremely. So, so take responsibility. Think as clearly as you can. Love God as much as you can. Love your fellow man. Find out from God himself what, what your own purpose and meaning in life is. This is why I think I, I don't apologize. I, I think I think a libertarian point of view from this point of view is is absolutely crucial. We're going to change one person at a time. Okay, this is and this is the way it should be. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure somebody would like for me to propose an alternate agenda, but you know, I don't have one, and I think it would be repeating the same mistake um, because it, it, it would be another fad. What about a mailing campaign? Could we just mail out? <laughs> 
Oh yeah, right. Yeah, right. I get um, I get a Christian boogeyman mailer several times a week in my inbox. Yeah, and if we don't, yeah. if and in fact it has it says if we do not stop insert boogeyman X here this <laughs> right. week. Uh, life as we know it will change next week. And, you know, I don't mean to trivialize these people. You know, some things are real issues. They and, are and some real of the people issues. are passionate. They care. Sitting on the sofa and not doing anything is not a superior position uh, to what right. they're doing. I don't want to glorify cynics. And I, I uh-huh. certainly don't want to come across as just being a, a cynic about pe- people are passionate to solve these kind of problems. Uh-huh. But it is very important. We only have so much love. We only have so much energy. In time, you know, if you got to earn a living and things like that, it'd be a good idea to pick your fights wisely, would it not, and not be tilting at windmills? Yeah. Uh, let me say something else, and, I, and I'm being deliberately controversial here, you know, for once. Well, we're, right? not, we're, not, well, we're not used to that on Future Quick yeah. either. We avoid controversy yeah, at all okay. possible. I, I said I'm not going to propose an alternate agenda. And I'm going to tell you something else I'm not going to propose. And, and what I'm going to not propose right away is listen to the Lord. How about that? Okay. Uh, and the reason I'm not going to say listen to the Lord just yet, I'll get there, is because for a lot of people, what they immediately think that you're meaning is uh, start another Bible study, um, recommit to church attendance, uh, maybe have a personal vigil of prayer and fasting. Um, Those are the very things and, we usually promote here. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. And... Uh, you know, I speaking for myself, you know, I've done all those things, and I have certainly been blessed by many Bible studies, and I attend church regularly, and I have prayed, and I have fasted. Um, and, and often, you know, this is a blessing. You know, also, sometimes it's a distraction. Uh, and here's, here's a shocker. You know, there are times uh, when you're studying the Bible, and if you're really paying attention, the Lord would say, to you uh, now, stop studying the Bible and get out and do what you know. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's easy to then retreat back behind Bible study and say, well, but I know that this is a good thing. So what I really want to say it's it's a very modest proposal, and that is to to anybody who cares, you know, just number one, just do some thinking. Don't. Don't just immediately jump up and say, oh, now I see it. Now I see the answers. No, just do some thinking. Think about what you deeply believe and why you believe it. Because this is a great ally. Because if you are a Christian, God really has done a deep work in your heart. and. And the the worst thing that you can do is ignore that and run off into the superficial things and not search and look right within your own heart and say, you know, I know better. I know what really matters to the Lord. I know, I know what he has done in my heart and mind. I know what I truly feel. Uh, and I haven't been paying proper attention. Okay, Mm -hmm. I would suggest to Christians, um, don't be afraid of unanswerable questions. There there are a lot of good Christian people who think that the Bible has all the answers and therefore they must have all the answers. 
and they feel woefully inadequate because they do not have all the answers. When the truth is, the Bible does not have all the answers. And the old scholars, the old scholars will tell us that. The Bible was given to us to draw us to the Lord, and we will come to the Lord with big questions. And some of the questions we will find an answer to in five minutes, and some answers will come in 20 years, and some of them will probably occur on the far side of the grave. And it's okay. It's okay, because we don't have the answers because the Lord hasn't handed out all the answers yet. Okay? Um, I would I would like to encourage all, all of us, you know, think about what your life means. Think about what you want it to mean. Think about what the Lord wants it to mean. Okay? And take some time to, 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 to find that out. Okay? And then you have a solid basis on knowing, on knowing how to proceed. And you'll discover, um, some wonderful truths along the way. You'll discover some wonderful people that God will bring into your life. You'll discover some wonderful ideas that put in your, that are put in your mind that come from the oddest places. Okay? And you will just receive these gifts with a thankful heart and say, I see it. I- I'm beginning to see it. Uh, and, and we're not at the end. You know, we're, we're on a journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a hard teaching, what you just said for some people in our, in our audience, particularly ones who are new to it. Um, the, the, you're it's, a, hard, it's a hard teaching for me. You want to know why? You know, I'm a teacher. So am, am, I, am I not supposed to be answer man? Right? Um, I'm a pastor. Doesn't this mean that I'm supposed to have the answers to all the church's problems? Right? Mm-hmm. That's the pressure, isn't it? Okay? We all have to deal with that. Okay. The, the pressure is, yes, people are depending upon me, you know, to, to be the answer man. And the answer is, not always. Not mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. But I was just going to say, uh, for people who may have a an issue with what you just said, about the Bible having all the answers, I would submit the first thought I had was that God himself in his own word says that there are other things you are not prepared to handle or that you do not know yet. It also said that the Holy Spirit in time will teach you all things, but it was a progressive understanding. The fact that it would come was that it was a process. It was not like this is an Encyclopedia Britannica that's, That's a right. book of facts that I'm dumping on it, and you, it's just cross-reference. You go look up, you know, Bing, you know, cause and effect. <laughs> That's right. It, it, he, he invoked a process through the Holy Spirit of a dynamic uh, understanding of God's nature, but even more so what his workings and plans in our age and culture is. The, 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 it will not contradict God's Word. God's Word no. is immutable. But God's Word is designed to reveal God's character, his nature, his general goals and purposes. What he wants to do on your street today is 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 based upon not only that understanding his nature in general from his word, but your communion with him on a daily basis. Correct. Yes, uh, I'd like to say another thing. Um, it um, the, the the scriptures are um, are there to provoke questions as much as they are to give answers. 
the, 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 the scriptures deliberately tell us strange things and, and don't give us all the story. Uh, I know that's hard, but, but, uh, you know, our study of the Old Testament is really enriched by our study of history, meaning that the Old Testament by itself provokes questions that make us go look into history for the answers. Um, but, but the scripture was given to provoke the right questions of us. And, and I, I would pass on something that Francis Schaeffer said many years ago about uh, love and truth. Uh, he says in one of his books um, that he believed that God had created a tension in the church between love and holiness. That was his words, love and holiness. The twin desire of walking in love and walking in holiness. And his argument was that the scriptures themselves do not provide a final answer. You know, if I'm trying to be loving, then I'm going to be reaching out. If I'm trying to be holy, I'm trying to keep myself unspotted from the world. And the Bible teaches both of these things. It, it teaches both maximum engagement and maximum separation. And Francis Schaeffer's resolution of that was to say that he believed that God had deliberately placed this in the scriptures to force us to daily depend upon the guidance of the Holy Spirit to know how this is to be resolved in our lives. Hmm. That's bold. That is really hmm. bold if you think about it. You know, so the other, the other, ramific- saying, the other ramification, too, is, is that while we may reach... For this particular day, time, and incident, where that balance is intended to be as we understand the Holy Spirit, we mm-hmm. at the same point, heaven forbid, we would judge another Christian on what God has laid on their heart over circumstances and instances that we usually know very little about. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. But, Tom, do you have any? You're very pensive over there. Any comments to add? I'm just hungry. Just hungry. <laughs> no, I, 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 I agree with most of everything, everything that you've said. That having had similar thoughts occur to me over the last two or three years, uh, I just um, uh, sometimes I, I hear all this stuff, and I pray that uh, somebody, somebody in our audience gets it and uh, wakes up. Because on the one hand, uh, our, our audience is very intelligent and very smart, but there's so many people out there who need to hear, uh, just even if, even if they can get the basics of what what was discussed here this afternoon, um, I think we would be doing a great service. But there's just so many people out there that need to be reached, and so many people that have an us and them mentality, and uh, some people are just so so entrenched in it. Um, I had one gentleman tell me one time in a discussion that uh, he will not retreat from his dogmas over certain. Um, what he would consider religious truths, and I would consider political ideology. Uh, he would yes. not retreat over them uh, because he would have to give up too much, and dogmas for him were good, kept him on the straight and narrow. And I thought, man, if that is the state, if that is the state of the average uh, church member, then uh, we're in far greater trouble than I thought. <laughs> we would like to. 
Can I give a comment? You know, we, we, we've been deep in the theoretical here right now, theory, and back to the libertarian ideas. We're coming to a close here. Um, I have found, going back to our purpose in the Great Commission, to reach and to, and to illustrate, uh, proclaim about Christ and who he is to people outside our circle, uh, I have found when people ask me and they bring up the, the P word, you know, politics, mm-hmm. and they ask me about um, where I stand on things, and they're sort of sensing, like, where are you going to fall, you know? It's, it's, it's like Mrs. Future. She comes from a land where you support one of two college football teams. And if you say the right one, you're embraced by that person. If you say the wrong one, you're kicked out. You're not. So right. cho- choose wisely. It's like the two doors, you know. And so when I've been approached like that, and when I tell people, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian libertarian. And here's why. I have found, a well, first of all, it takes people aback. And when it takes them aback, you don't fall into that that uh, us versus them thinking and dichotomy where there's no thinking. They immediately have to stop and think about what I just said. Do you ever notice that, that it like makes them mad that they just have to like they can't pigeonhole you? Yeah, but it also gives it also gives them a license to think. It allows it yes. gives them the permission to do it to hear what right. you just said. But what I have found is I don't have to be nervous anymore that I guess wrong because I didn't pick A or B, and so. <laughs> Uh, they don't know quite what to do with you, but I find it gives an audience for you to be able to bring up other things and talk about, and it diffuses a lot of tension. And then they'll almost whisper sometimes, you know, I agree with a lot of what you said. You know, I've wondered the same things <laughs> myself. But they whisper it because the Christian police might be listening, you know, you yeah. know, on one side or the other. And, and then you start yeah. finding people who voted for that party A or party B. You start noticing that they start saying a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. It's just that... Uh, if anything, they were misled by their leadership at the top that was exploiting them. But a lot of their values are the same. It's just the means by which they wanted to get the job done. Mm-hmm. So I find this is a – and in fact, when you go to non-Christians and talk with them, it also is very refreshing. How many people on our show have said, boy, if we knew more Christians that look at issues like you all do and approach them and think – uh, might actually be, respect them. Be, yeah, yeah, be more interested times. in Christianity. And so it actually provides a venue even for things like the Great Commission, which is sort of our insider mission that we have, you know, beyond just living peaceably with all men. We are here on a mission. We, we're in God's army. We're ambassadors here. But it also helps facilitate it, not just to live peaceably with people, but it does opens doors of opportunity that were nailed shut or at least barricaded by the activity of the last generation or two. So I, I find it's a venue where God can actually bless. You know, uh, and I don't want to get into other dirty laundry here, but, you know, we now attend a, a church, both you and I, that's not one of the, at least in this part of the country, best-known denominations, although yep. it has a lot of beliefs in common. I have found that has similarly been disarming with people and allow them to listen to me because they immediately define me. When I say I'm part well, of this group or that group or whatever, them, I don't know, even within Christian, yeah, even within Christendom, yeah. and it's Crazy. a shame because there's nothing wrong with those groups per se, but it's just something that that label making you were talking about, Robert. It is right. so so prevalent, and and other people outside the church do it too. People on the left do it as well oh, as on yeah. the right. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna, but in the church, we should know better. And, and I'm hoping that dialogues like this can be a means by which we can start the process of crumbling down some of that. Silly activity. And, you know, we, we, we saw that with the apostles. We saw how the, the, the simplistic thinking of the apostles with Jesus. And you can almost just hear Jesus roll his eyes, you know, when he's trying to bear patiently with them. And he's still rolling his eyes today. 
with each one of us. So <laughs> hopefully, you know, one thing we don't have an excuse is we have their testimony. We saw what they did wrong. They didn't have ours. So, you know, much more will be expected of us. You know, we're at the conclusion of the show here. Was there any last thoughts you want to have before uh, we call it a day and have done enough mischief? <laughs> oh, well, we could start a whole other discussion. Now, let me say something about the role of the police. Okay. Uh, I've said I think that the, Christ- the Christians are... We're in, we're in about the last minute or so, so just keep okay. that in mind. Okay. Okay. Uh, Christ- uh, with Christian, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about the, the love of the police state. And I would almost say, you know, Christian, if you disagree with me, that's great. Um, and, and I would encourage you to go join the police. Actually go join the police. And get a view of what real police work is rather than the Hollywood version of it, uh, rather than the evangelical version of it, yeah. and see what's involved. And you know what? I believe there'd be a few Christian policemen who would agree with me and say, you know, it makes me a libertarian. You mean mm-hmm. it's not like Starsky and Hutch? <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's maybe not, not. It's not like Andy Griffith. That's the other thing. All right. It's, right. it's not. It's not like that. Which is actually almost a, a, a pseudo libertarian ideal state, if you think about it. It is. It is. But unfortunately, that's not the way it is right now. You know, Mayberry yeah. was a very libertarian environment. You, you saw. Yes. <laughs> you, you saw the latitude that Andy Griffith had to deal with Otis and the other guys there, and the Darlins and Ernesty right. Bass. That there was a latitude to maintain peace. Without authoritarian control, and Barney, you That's know, right. he Barney had some of that evangelical authoritarian roots that he wanted to, <laughs> yeah. you know, get the bullet out of his pocket. And and us evangelicals <laughs> are the Barney fives. We want to get the bullet in the pocket in there. Yeah, but right. but the cooler heads prevailed on that show. And you know what? On right. that show, I didn't see, you know, crazy libertines take over the streets of Mayberry. <laughs> no, you know, with, so. with 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 uh, these bacchanalian, you know, uh, events of just total debauchery. Actually, it was a very peaceful, respectful kind of place as a byproduct. Yes, right. Well, we're going to, have to call it a day, Robert. I want to thank you so much. Um, I'm, I, I think you know we often say future quake. There's something here to offend everyone. Controversy quake. We may have <laughs> we may have packed it in one show this time rather yeah. than a body of work. Uh, but All we, right. We really look forward to hearing our. Uh, our listeners contact us and give us your thoughts, yay or nay, first impressions, impressions after some contemplation. And, uh, Robert, you're going to uh, get some of these thoughts and get them down in writing for us so we can hang on to them. Okay. Okay. That's my charge to you. I've been promising you. that for a while, but I haven't kept that promise. That's my charge to you, and that's not, that's not uh, you know, uh, I'm not trying to get after you anything here. We just never know when, when the powers that be may turn off the switch on the Future Quake show. And there's right. stuff that may need to be passed around by hand, if need be, one day, <laughs> uh, including some of these thoughts. Thank you so much for your service to Christ and to us. Mm-hmm. And, your, Thank you. and your mentorship, not only to us, but to many other people out there that I know uh, who are being challenged to think. And uh, we look forward to having you back on Future Quake. And blessings to you and Tom. Okay. Thank you. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, not Slash or Izzy Stradlin. But Tom Bionic. 
Bionic. Is that a reference to a song or something? Yeah, that's a, a further reference to the Guns N' Roses thing. Okay, that's been the kick lately. Yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we know that Robert Hyde and the whole topic of the philosophy of where church is at is not everybody's cup of tea in our audience. Mm-hmm. Some people want more Nephilim all the time, yeah. or they want more of the latest Everything's prophecy. Everything's spectacular. Bam, bam. No oh, biblical prophecy. More, Big backflip. Here you go. And, you know, we're interested in all that stuff. And... Uh, you know, all these different things or conspiracies or whatever like that. <clears throat> but this is the real core of what it's all about for mm-hmm. us. And we'd like to hear from you, Futurians, whether you agree or disagree, mm-hmm. what you think about this. And uh, Doesn't mean we're going to listen or stop doing these <laughs> no, shows. No, we care about what you have to say. Yeah, we do. But we'd like for you to at least just mull it over mm-hmm. and see what you think may have some uh, points of interest or something that could be useful out of it. Uh, someone else who uh, can tell you how to do that is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, that's the end of the line. Let's hit it, man. Tomorrow's Tomorrow's Tremors. Until then, we hope your future's always bright. Ciao, baby. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom. Nobody's writing these statements for me, which makes me better than the con- Congress bionic. Yeah, let me guess that's some foreshadowing. A little bit foreshadowing of the first news story. Yeah, we usually don't get to Friday foreshadowing. Oh, I know. And that's because Friday means what? Uh, it means that it's time to do some stuff that really makes me depressed and then uh, only to have people deny that it even exists. You know, you've really enticed our listeners with that kind of uh, <laughs> go-getter. Yeah! Don't worry, folks. It doesn't exist. Just listen to CNN. Something good is going to happen to you. That's from another Christian show I remember hearing. Well, something good is going... Sing that again. Something good is going to happen to you. I'm feeling better now. Yeah, good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you may not be feeling good. In fact, you may be reaching for the dial. Please don't just yet. Um, This is Friday, uh, which is... Did you say again what it was, or you said it was just to get depressed? It was uh, that's your official uh, answer. It was where we read news story, news stories. Tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the future's news. I was getting there. You cut me off, man. Monday through Thursday, we talk through two major guests, newsmakers. We had some heavy duty stuff with uh, Robert Hyde this week. Indeed. Um, very curious to see what you all have to say out there in Futurian land. Doesn't exist about what he has to say, <laughs> but uh, we've got some news stories to review. And would you like to kick us off with something? Um, I, you know, I went first last week, but um, I've got the short one. Oh, I thought you were going to let me do it first. Okay, sorry. Congressional statements ghostwritten by Genentech lobbyists via New York Times. The, the official record of the historic House debate and overhauling health care, the speeches of many law, lawmakers echo with similarities. Guess what? That was no accident. 
Statements by more than a dozen lawmakers were ghostwritten in whole or in part by Washington lobbyists working for Genentech, one of the world's largest biotechnology companies. Email messages obtained by the New York Times showed that the lobbyists drafted one statement for Democrats and another for Republicans. You mean like let to me sort of make sort of a fake fight between the two of yes, them? Yes, let me read that again. Email messages obtained by the New York Times shows that the lobbyists drafted one statement for Democrats and another for Republicans. The New York Times shows that the lobbyists drafted one statement for Democrats and another for Republicans. That sounds a little bit like Hegelian dialectic. It doesn't exist. Anything else you want to say about that? <laughs> it just doesn't exist. The lobbyists employed by Genentech and by two Washington law firms were remarkably successful in getting the statements printed in the congressional record under the names of different members of Congress. Genentech, a subsidiary of the Swiss drug maker Roche, or Roche, Roche, estimates that 42 House Is that members... that where Roche paper comes from? Well, I don't know what Roche or paper. Roche clip, okay. Roche clip, maybe. Uh, estimated that 42 House members picked up some of its talking points, 22 Republicans and 20 Democrats, an unusual bipartisan coup for lobbyists. In an interview, Representatives Bill Pascrell, Jr., Democrat of New Jersey, said, I regret the language that the language was the same. I did not know it was. Not that I regret taking. It, if he had written it himself, wouldn't he have known whether he had written it himself or not? In other words, if he's, if he's have a statement attributed to him and he knows he didn't say it, how would he have not known that, that was not him? Yeah, well, you know, of course. Maybe there's something I missed there. He said he got his statement from staff and did not know where they got the information from. Hmm. Sure. I'm so glad we, we vote these representatives in who can stand on their principles. Huge differences between the, the Democrats and the Republicans. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. They're like... Well, maybe at least in Genentech they have a little separate aisle between the guys writing the Democratic answer and the Republican. Could be. Maybe that's that's where the difference is. Yeah. You know, or it could be an all big fraud. No, I, yeah, I was going to say it probably doesn't exist. Well, can I read a story to pick you up a little bit? Um, I'm already high. Okay. On life in Jesus. This so. is this is from the uh, uh, London Times. Okay, the emotional carnage suffered at Fort Hood. Uh, and this is just part of a story. Okay, I'm just reading. I don't want to go too long. Fort Hood is the largest military base in America. Has lost more soldiers. In Iraq. Now this is where that shootout shooting was. Mm-hmm has lost more soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan than any other military facility, and after eight years of constant deployments, has had more than its fair share of highly stressed soldiers and dependents even before last night's shootings. In June 2007, the Times was given two days access to the sprawling 340-square-mile base, which is home to 70,000 people and adjoins the central Texas town of Killeen, an ugly conglomeration of fast-food restaurants, motels, and shopping malls, with all the usual accoutrements of a military town, swaths of low-rent housing, pawn shops, loan sharks, and an unmistakable air of transience. Yeah, even then, the strains of war were obvious. You know, that sounds like a real uh, n- negative swipe. But I'll have to say, I've been around a number of those towns, having worked with the military. True. And that is a pretty good yeah. description. Nail on the head. Uh, and it's not saying anything against an individual. It's just that that's just sort of what pops up. Mm-hmm. The 1st Cavalry and 4th Infantry Divisions had already lost 685 men and women. Their names recorded on memorials in the two divisions' respective parade grounds, and many of the casualties buried in the Central Texas State Veterans Cemetery on the hillside just outside Colleen. Those names and graves were not the only way of measuring the toil 
that Iraq in particular was exacting on the base. Paul Dirksmeyer, a chaplain of the 1st Cavalry Division, spoke of the emotional carnage, the broken marriages, the mental afflictions of returning soldiers, the frayed nerves of the families left behind, the occasional suicides, desertions, and instances of soldiers suddenly running amok. Major Ben Phillips, a psychologist, estimated that 15 to 30 percent of returning soldiers had psychological problems, mostly post-traumatic stress disorder or traumatic brain injuries. 15 to 30 percent. Sweet. He said the soldiers' vulnerability to psychological disorders increased with each deployment, and he equivocated when asked if they were being sent back into action before they were fully recovered. Oh, we know they are. That's part of the record. Well, wives told of their husbands checking beneath... Now, listen, listen, this is so sad. Wives told of their husbands, back here in the States, yeah. checking beneath their cars for bombs before leaving for Kmart, accelerating under bridges or swerving past old tires on the road as if they were still in Baghdad. One 32-year-old soldier recalled panicking in a crowded mall one day and laying a man out because it made me feel I was back in the markets of Tikrit. Wow. Charlotte Graves, guidance counselor at the Smith Middle School on Fort Hood's Tank Destroyer Boulevard. That's a nice place for a school. And a yeah. tank, tank Destroyer, <laughs> yeah. Uh, talked of wives being unable to cope alone and cheating on their absent husbands and of the problems couples faced when their husbands did return. They are constantly watching their backs. They are constantly on the alert. And the least little thing can set these guys off. They don't tolerate a lot of stuff. Now, this is quotes from counselors and stuff Good. there at the base. Okay? Sounds like a guy that we need to get in while, the police force. While there were no, well, unfortunately, that's who they're recruiting. I know, I know. That's why I said it. While there were no statistics of marriage breakups, anecdotal evidence suggested the rate had soared. It's more like who's still married, said one soldier. The Army runs an extensive support network for the families of deployed soldiers with any number of support groups, emergency hotlines and the like. Each has issued a 126-page Soldier Family Deployment Survival Handbook. After w women uh, had lost their husbands, complained personally to President Bush in 2005, support for bereaved families was greatly improved. And it goes on. There's more there. But the, the point is, if you've got 15 to 30 percent of people, of you know, the untold numbers of people deployed, mm -hmm. that have some kind of impact like that, they don't count those numbers. And they didn't sure. do it in Vietnam. And I would even all say the homeless that, shelters filled with people who sure, were shattered. Sure, they don't I don't count those numbers. It's funny that they won't count those numbers, but they know they know almost to a man in Nigeria and other countries in Africa who has various infectious diseases like AIDS mm -hmm. and uh, syphilis and um, smallpox, and there's a third or fourth one there. Uh, but they know they know they know like almost down to a person. You know. You know, the, the people on the left were saying, you know, this is going to be another Vietnam. And the people on the right says, how dare you say that? You know, the people coming back that were shattered, that felt like they were still in the jungle, mm -hmm. still going through all this. And the reports sound pretty much the same. Well, uh, it's part of this whole... Constantly being surrounded by threat. You're always on the front, wherever you are. Well, unfortunately, you can't, like... If I didn't like Future Quick, I could just quit, you know? Uh, you can't do that if you're a soldier. It's not yeah. like I can just go, I'm done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't like this job anymore. Right. Uh, and yet, these guys who are the kings of the earth that we talk about constantly, who don't exist, according to some, um, that they, these non-existent kings of the earth 
send people out historically out across the mm -hmm. nations to uh, uh, do their bidding. You know, United right. Fruit would be a great example of that. Mm -hmm. You know, and Adam Parfrey and, uh, or mm -hmm. sorry, Smedley Butler, uh, other people like that. But then none of this stuff exists. So it's a good thing that it doesn't exist because then we have to face reality and do something about it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist. Man. I think my hat's on too tight. <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Got something else to share there? Yeah. NSA is giving Microsoft some help on Windows 7. This is from NPR. Um, the National Security Agency has been working with Microsoft Corp. to help improve security measures for its new Windows 7 operating system, a senior NSA official said on Tuesday. I wonder if that's Michael Aquino. Um, yeah. The confirmation of the NSA's role, which began... Yeah, he's the guy who... Was he, a Satanist? Yeah, he's a Satanist. He's one the, of the top, top guys in the NSA. Uh, well, he's he's the he's the I don't know if he's still around, but at one time he was the lead guy in the NSA, the top general, uh, uh, top non-civilian. Mm -hmm. And uh, not only was he a huge Satanist, but he was actually the high priest of a relatively recent offshoot of uh, uh, Satanic worship called the Temple of Set. And the National Security Agency is our top-level intelligence. Sort of secret, yes. Agents, I mean, being run by a, being run by uh, not just a Satanist, but like, and it dwarfs the CIA. Yes, it's by, a real place. I mean, you can go see a headquarters. Yeah, oh, by huge, there, by yeah. huge amount. Yeah, a huge amount. Um, anyway, the, the confirmation of the NSA's role, which during the during the development of the software, is a sign of the agency's deepening involvement with the private sector when it comes to building defenses against cyber attacks. Working in partnership with Microsoft and the, de the defense of the Department of Defense, DOD, NSA leveraged our experience, expertise, and operational knowledge of system threats and vulnerabilities to enhance Microsoft's operating system security guide without constraining the user's ability to perform their everyday tasks. Richard Schaefer, the NSA's Information Assurance Director, told the Senate Judiciary Commi Committee in a statement prepared for a hearing held this morning in Washington. All this was done in coordination with the product release, not months or years later in the product cycle. Uh, that's awesome. Like they leverage their unique expertise and operational knowledge uh, to um, put in back doors. The partnership between the NSA and, the, and Microsoft is not new. Go figure. In 2007, NSA's official, NSA officials acknowledged working with Microsoft during the development of Windows Vista to help boost its defenses against security security, computer viruses, worms, and other attacks. In fact, the cooperation dates to at least 2005, when the NSA and other government agencies worked with Microsoft on its Windows XP system and other programs. Well, that explains why Vista doesn't work mm -hmm. right. Yeah. The NSA, which is best known for its electronic eavesdropping operations and its uh, uh, satanic general that runs the whole operation, is charged Did with... Did you add that part? I, oh. Yeah, that's parenthetical, okay. sorry. It's charged with protecting the NSA's national security computing infrastructure from online assaults. Uh, as these systems become increasingly dependent on private sector computing products, the NSA has reached out to a growing number of software companies. More and more, we find that protecting national security companies demands, uh, national security systems rather, demands teaming with private and uh, public institutions to raise the information assurance level of products and services more broadly. Schaefer said that the NSA is also working to engage with other companies, including Apple, Sun, and Red Hat, on security standards for their products. The agency also works with computer security firms such as Symantec, McAfee, and Intel. 
a growing array of law enforcement authorities, intelligence officials, and, commu- and private computer experts have been warned about the rising threat, threat of cyber attacks. The FBI considers the cyber threat against our nation to be one of the greatest concerns of the 21st century, Stephen Chabinsky, the, the Deputy Assistant Director of the FBI Cyber Division, told the same Congressional Committee. Hmm. There wow. you have it. Don't worry about your computer, folks. It's already been invaded by the NSA. That That's everybody's with that software? Anybody who has Windows 7, uh, but they also make mention that they work together on both XP, which... Uh, XP and Vista, so. Well, you know, they're protecting us. Sweet. Yep. Except if you're in that Mayak report, or if you're in the DHS. Unless you believe in anything goofy like the... Believe believe in end-time prophecies. Yeah. Then you're an enemy. Like the Second Amendment or something. Freedom. Can I I share a... Sure. Hit us. Um, This is from the British Daily Mail uh, newspaper. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, British nuclear expert 17th floor UN death plunge was not suicide. Uh, British nuclear expert who fell from the 17th floor of the United Nations building, United Nations, mm-hmm. did not commit suicide and may have been hurled to his death, says a doctor who carried out a second post-mortem examination. Timothy Hampton, 47, a scientist involved in monitoring nuclear activity, was found dead last week at the bottom of a stairwell in Vienna. Now, you remember the gentleman in England who was like the expert on something related to looking for weapons of mass destruction that yeah. mysteriously died? He was at like the critical stage. Of well, I'll, I'll one-up you on, on, on dead nuclear and biological experts. Uh, Joseph Moshe, who was a self-described uh, Mossad agent specializing in bio-warfare, called into a talk right. show in right. Los Angeles in August and said that um, there was going to, uh, Baxter, I believe it was, was working on a weapon. And right. they were going to release it, and uh, the first country they were going to hit was the Ukraine. So, And the oh. Ukraine has since had an epidemic has come out that they yeah. can't explain. And the military went kind of hog wild in arresting him. Yeah, that was on TV yeah. when people didn't know that he was the same guy at the time. Uh-huh. They just saw some guy on TV that must have been some nutty guy that they were grabbing. Dude, that was. have you seen the video of that? Uh-uh. Oh, man. They They pull out, they get the robot out. To, like, yank his door off and stuff. Really? Oh, it's like the whole nine yards. There's a military vehicle with an EMP gun on it that they yeah. used to shut down his car. Okay. Got all these cops following him, and this big gray car comes out of nowhere. Well, yeah. you know, like a like yeah. half track. And it's got this EMP gun. They shoot at the car. The car dies in the middle of the street. Yeah. Uh, they toss in a bunch of tear gas canisters and stuff. And this cop... This cop, like, leans out from behind his car and fires this long-range taser at him, sticks uh-huh. him in the neck, and he's twitching and stuff. Right. Uh, it goes on for minutes, and uh, it's wow. like, gosh, why can't you guys just open his door? I wonder if that same technique would be used here when they, when they do the eventual, you know, onslaught siege of the future quake headquarters. Yeah, well, hopefully they can hopefully they can overtake a shifu. Ah, uh, well. have to get up early in the morning for that. That's our security system. Yep. Uh, it says here, uh, Timothy Hampton, 47, a scientist was involved in monitoring nuclear activity, found dead last week at the bottom of the stairwell in Vienna. That's, that is the other UN headquarters. There's mm-hmm. two of them, New York and Vienna. Mm-hmm. Uh, an initial autopsy concluded that there were no suspicious circumstances, but it is understood that Mr. Hampton's widow, Alina Gerschik, and her family were deeply unhappy with that verdict. Now a doctor who undertook a second post-mortem examination on behalf of the family, believes she has found evidence that Mr. Hampton did not die by his own hands. 
Interestingly, we found a large knife measuring about eight <laughs> inches sticking out of his neck <laughs> and a garrowette around his neck. Remember, we're a serious news organization. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it Pro- back. Professor, <laughs> Professor Catherine Yen of the Ludwig Institute in Graz, Austria, which specializes in traumatology research, said she had more tests to complete on Mr. Hampton, who had a three-year-old son with Mrs. Gerchik. Uh, but she said one possible theory was that Mr. Hampton was carried to the 17th floor from his workplace on the 6th floor and thrown to his death. Professor Yen used new forensic techniques to detect internal bruising caused by strangulation, which would not would have been visible to the naked eye. She said, in my opinion, it does not look like suicide. My example is that somebody took him up to the top floor and took him down. At the moment, I don't have the police reports. We did a CT scan. From the external exam, I saw injuries on the neck, but these were not due to strangulation. It is expected to take three weeks for blood test results to come back. Austrian police said they believe Mr. Hampton committed suicide. He had been working for the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty Organization, the UN. Uh, the staff monitor, uh, the staff there monitor tremors in countries worldwide to uncover illegal nuclear tests. It has been suspected that Mr. Hampton may have been involved in talks discussing nuclear testing in Iran. The UN has strongly denied the claims. Sweet. So his body was discovered last Tuesday at 8 p.m. They said it was usual for him to work late into the night. Um, his widow, a weapons inspector for the International Atomic Energy Agency, was working in Japan when he died. Uh, said a source close to the family said life had not been easy for Mr. Hampton, who was often away from his wife and son. But that uh, same source said he was not the suicide type. Um, he's rather introverted, uh, uh, and... He was trained trained in Britain as a biochemist, and uh, anyway, sweet. So there you go. It says a year ago, an American died at the IAEA in strikingly similar circumstances. His body being found at the bottom of a stairwell. What's the odds of two in a year at the bottom of the stairwell? Well, okay. And nuclear how many, monitoring. How many people are there in the IAEA? How many scientists like this? I don't know. A couple hundred. Uh, probably, okay. probably. Well, so let's go a couple hundred. How many incidents of suicide do you have? Probably close to zero because all these guys are, you know, introverted workaholics. Like one in three million or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so you'd have to go three million times three million. That's your... Yeah, that's, but yet there there's two in a year yeah. that are at the phone at the bottom of the stairwell. It doesn't... None of it really exists. You're all... This is all talking crazy. And okay, well, speaking it. of crazy talk, you have some more crazy talk for us. Yeah. Here's some ex- exceedingly crazy talk. Manic British nanny state. Health and safety of inspectors to enter homes. But it's for the children. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, this is from the Times Online. We just sort of like uh, Elian Gonzalez when they entered for the children. Uh, something like that. I have I have a picture still where they got the gun, where the yeah. commandos pouring the gun at Elian. Well, apparently he was, a I know, a terrible threat. Mm-hmm. They had to blast old poor Alien. Alien. Okay, so what, um, they, what are they doing to help the children? Health and safety inspectors are to be given unprecedented access to family homes to ensure that parents are protecting their children from household accidents. New guidance drawn up at the request of the Department of Health urges councils and other public sector bodies to collect data on properties where children are thought to be at greatest risk of unintentional injury. Council staff will then be tasked with overseeing the installation of safety devices in homes, including smoke alarms, stair gates, hot water temperature restrictors, oven guards, and windows and door locks. Sweet. They go in and inspect your house, 
And if they don't, if they don't find hot temp, hot, hot water temp restrictors, stair gates, smoke mm-hmm. alarms, oven guards. What, what on earth is an oven guard? Something where they can't pull the oven open. Oh, I thought it was. Who knows what an oven guard is? Uh, the draft guidance by a committee at the National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence, uh, otherwise called NICE. Uh, which is funny. Which, which was the group in that hideous strength that was really an evil group in the C.S. Lewis novel. Oh, that's the right. acronym was called the NICE. Oh, that's interesting. Has been criticized as intrusive and further evidence of the creeping nanny state. The creeping nanny state? <laughs> the creeping nanny state? They've crept in. They've crept in. They're in your house now, man. Well, and you know what? While they're there, they may see some kind of religious intolerance by seeing a Bible on the on the stand too, and you, mm-hmm. you feed your children's mind with all of that destructive, you know, because it's terrorism. The, the Department of Homeland Security have, have that, you know, end times teaching yeah. and stuff like that. So while they happen to be in there checking the water taps, I'm sure there's a lot of other kind of stuff that they, they can see. We, we taught them, we taught them some end times Bible prophecy, and then we talked about uh, uh, the the inherent fallacy mm-hmm. of of uh, a pro-abortion stance, and mm-hmm. you know. And this is all because they believe that the state is inherently more virtuous than the average family member. Well, and really family. it gets it gets down to the whole Luciferian lie that there are some people that are just destined to rule and they're just, by virtue of the fact that they have more money or, you know, born to the right mm-hmm. bloodline, really. That, right. That's what it comes down to is a bloodline thing, which is very similar to um, anybody who studies cults and stuff will recognize that language immediately. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, um, this is just this has a little bit of commentary to it, okay? All right. Paul Craig Roberts, who would like to get on our show, was a one of the top economic advisors to Reagan. Okay. Part of the Reagan cabinet. Yeah. We'll, we'll go quick. We don't have a lot of time. I don't have much time. Uh, he says it's conventional wisdom that it was the draft that ended the Vietnam War. According to this explanation, cowardly college students, subject to the draft, and their unpatriotic families forced them into the war. This is Karl Marx's explanation. Material interests, not empty morality, are said to have brought the war to an end. That fact, that fact that in those days the U.S. still had an independent media of sorts that sometimes framed the war in moral tor- terms is ignored. Are we sure, for example, that the film of the naked little girl, uh, you know, that was in Vietnam, uh, running and tearing down the road, burning with napalm, you know the picture, the famous I one. I do. That's a terrible picture. Was ineffectual in arousing moral opposition to the war. Are we certain that it wasn't an aroused moral conscience that brought about the end of the war? but was college students' fears for their lives and limbs? If we ascribe ending the war to material interest, it makes ending the war look as unworthy as the war itself. Yet virtually every conservative columnist, commentator, news person, and politician, as well as today's anti-war protesters and apparently the Pentagon, believes that a military draft would reduce America's toleration for wars because of body bags coming home to middle and upper class parents. Apparently, the lower class doesn't mind its kids coming back in body bags. Those enthralled to this explanation, which derives from Marxist materialistic explanation of history, do not notice that Vietnam was our longest war. It apparently took almost forever for the material interest of students and their parents to realize itself and stop the war. Why are we afraid to say that the war was stopped because American troops and the American population got tired, offended even, from killing women, children, and non-combatants? Vietnam had not attacked the U.S. The U.S. had interjected itself into a civil war in a far-off place, as it has done in Afghanistan. By invading Iraq, the U.S. started a civil war between Sunni and Shiites. 
In Pakistan, the U.S. has started a civil war between the religious tribal population and secular U.S. public state. In Palestine, the U.S. started a civil war between Fatah and Hamas. Okay, it goes on and on, but uh, it says, uh, basically, uh, morality has shown itself to be an impotent force in 21st century America. Americans show no remorse over 1 million dead Iraqis and 4 million displaced Iraqis. Uh, due to an inv- American invasion based on lies and deception. Hmm. Uh, it says, uh, why is the President of the United States, I know we're here at the end, uh, contemplating send tens of thousands of more troops to kill people in Afghanistan? The answer is the United States is an immoral country with an immoral people and a moral government. Well, Eric, I wouldn't go that far. I would say the people are moral. They just haven't been told the truth for a long time. Well, the other two may be true. Yeah, I, I know we're at the end of the time, but yeah. food for thought. Merv, would you come and tell our listeners how to contact us here at FutureQuake? FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Sorry. That's it, man. Paul Craig Roberts is, you know, from the Reagan administration, and he's had some questions in his mind, too. Yeah. I'd like to have him on. He wears a suit and tie a lot. Does he? Yeah. Like a bow tie. Okay. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, come back for another great guest next week. Mm-hmm. Keep doing your own studying. Pray. Seek the Lord. Uh, see what he would have us to be as a people and as individuals. Indeed. And until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.